everyone, and welcome to Player vs. Plot, the podcast where we take video game stories seriously. With me, just like every week, you got Sterling right here. <laughs> and uh, today we've got another fun episode, which will be introduced by Chris. Oh, yeah. The Last of Us. I was just going to say, I think it's funny how we always say this is going to be a fun episode. Like, yes, every episode is a fun which episode. Which ones are the bad ones? It's our guarantee. It's our next one. Our next let's, one let's is going to be the bad one. Let's take this major risk and list what we think are bad episodes. Bad episodes <laughs> this one. No, I'm just kidding. I give up on editing halfway through, and I'm like, mm, there's we, no salvaging this. Well, I think that's just one, right? We yes. have one. Yes. I don't even know if I would say it's bad yet. I haven't listened to it. It's, it's a good episode. The Order, the Order 1886. Yes. Where infamously, most of us fell asleep. During it, and one of during us. the game, yes, not during the game <laughs> podcast. What I came out of post op, and you decided to make me play, and you fell asleep, and I have no recollection that was, of that day. That was such an interesting choice we made it that was. day. Speaking of interesting choices, there are some in the game we're talking about today, which, like Sterling said, is The Last of Us. It is a. Would you guys call this a zombie game? Yes, I think you get out of it what you want to get out of a zombie game. Yeah. But- I think it does like touch on the zombie tropes. It was coming out on the edge mm-hmm. of the the ending edge of uh, of like the zombie. I would say my asterisk there phase of our culture. I've never played Resident Evil, so my context for zombie games consists of The Last of Us and Plants vs Zombies. I, I actually feel like most zombie media is not really about zombies, it's, right? Yes. It's like a fear of. People and yes, crowds it's, and it's society. Usually, yeah, it's usually an excuse to put people in a different environment where social rules don't exist anymore and they have to make new ones. Like the Stanford prison experiment? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. I think you get a lot out of that that you get from a zombie movie. I wouldn't be surprised if some zombie movie has essentially simulated that. But um, I feel like The Last of Us really is on the edge of what I would consider zombie media because I don't think the zombies in this movie do as much work as you would expect or not i call this a movie no i know game they don't they're not as important thematically as i would say they're in like dawn of the dead which really again the horror in that movie is not zombies but maybe we should take a moment and talk a little bit about like what do zombies usually accomplish right the history of zombies let's dig up some zombies okay (laughs) <laughs> okay, so what like, is that, 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 uh, my eyes rolling? But that doesn't show up on a podcast. Sterling's so just angry. He culturally, I get to claim distantly. I am. I made. I invented zombies. Yes, Chris invented zombies, and that is fact. And <laughs> I go write a paper on it. So and email us to interview him. <laughs> zombies come from the exact opposite end of the Caribbean that my family is from. So it's from Haiti. Yes. Right. Yes. Like with, is that voodooism? And- it's, yes. It's yes. from essentially Obia. Like it's it's there is ritual magic. Well, is that Obia? Con- Obia. There's some conflicting ideas of where it comes from before that, and they yes. think it's linked to subsections of Africa and is spread when slavery is spread. But a lot of what we think of as what be- what is the a major trope. synthesis for the Western yeah. concept of the zombie comes from. Like voodooism in in Haiti for sure. Yeah, and of course, like zombie stuff. Like uh, arguably, Frankenstein is is about a zombie to some degree, right? Yes. So like Frankenstein's weird because it's there's this this idea that every monster like subtype represents some sort of societal fear. Like vampires are like, oh, sexuality is scary, things like that. Frankenstein, I think, crosses between the idea of the same fears of zombies, like. Mm-hmm. When does life expire? Blah, blah, blah. And also it's a classic 
science can be dangerous. Be careful what yeah. you do. I thought that zombies were a commentary and critique on society's fear and how things change around you. And in Frankenstein, that that was a commentary on, you know, his yeah. place in like society yes. as an outcast. That the monster in that movie is an invasion on society, whereas in zombie movies and like what we would commonly think of as uh, the structure of a zombie movie now, society itself has to change on a macro level. Yeah. Right. But then again, though, the earliest zombie stories, as I think Lindsay will tell us about now, not actually about that. Yeah, which it's it's the idea that, I mean, like we said, it's voodoo. It's this, we, we now connect it with Haitian, this Haitian concept of voodoo. And as slavery begins to become more prevalent, there's this idea that, okay, being a zombie means being brought back from the dead by a specific voodoo Master, yeah. Lord. I'm just picturing Dr. Facilier from Princess and the Frog. So he brings you back from the dead and controls your mind. So you are reanimated and also oh mind controlled. Source code is the like a modern day successor to that zombie. That oh, really? Zombie movie. Like, I don't know what Unless code I'm misremembering the name, source code is a um, spoilers, everybody, for source code. Because in order to, to say why I think this, I have to spoil the premise. Okay. Um, Source Code is a movie about a soldier who has died and is brought back to life, like just as consciousness, to relive events of a bombing on a train over Ooh. and over and over, using his soldier skills to figure out who like bombed the train so they can go and like find oh, that that's person. So it's like running a simulation. And he has no choice in this. He's just being forced to like work and like yeah. beyond his death, right? Yeah. Yes. Because technically as a government, uh, like as a soldier, he is property of the government. And they, the, the horror of that movie is that they have taken that to his consciousness too. Yeah, mm. that's definitely this. Especially because the link becomes, they're, you know, slaves who are driven in turn by other slaves are also being pressed into slavery themselves, use voodoo as a threat for mm -hmm. other slaves saying, okay, if you commit suicide so you can't work anymore... I'll bring your body back to life and make you a zombie, which prevents you from going on to wherever the afterlife is too. So it's this idea that you're losing out on some promised thing and your body is going to be like misused and you're going to be mindless and all that kind of thing. Oh, that's interesting. And I, and I just love etymology of words. Ooh, yeah. um, and so zombie is one that kind of has a mysterious origin because people can't really place where it's from, but they assume that it's from the Congo area or Western Africa. And then that eventually made its way to Haiti. From so it's from some West African language. Yeah. And apparently it's pronunciation here is going to be rough, but N-Z-A-M-B-I, like not non-zombie. Zambia. The zombie. Which means God. Oh. Interesting. So. Is it the idea then that you are manipulating life and death that you can bring resurrect someone essentially or could maybe that word because again like different languages contextually might use words in ways that we don't expect right yeah like uh like how in japanese you you when you eat you're not saying like i'm gonna eat your food you're like saying like i'm gonna receive it mm -hmm. you know what i mean maybe zambia is like a reference to the supernatural yeah 
That could be too. We started by discussing whether or not this is even a real zombie game because is it using zombies the way we think of? And Mm. the game deliberately doesn't call them zombies, which is important too. Yeah. So looking at where zombies come from in our kind of origin and how they progress in media is going to be really interesting for us to talk about why they decided to go with zombies for this game. Yeah. So when we look at early zombies, as far as Western entertainment goes, we'd be talking about White Zombie, which is 1932 with Bela Lugosi, mm-hmm. spooky, spooky expert man. And that's very much the idea that we were thinking about, where it's like in a, a Haitian area and there's a voodoo master and they turn one woman into a zombie for another man. So she'll like be romantic with him. And it's that idea of being mindless or powerless Right. And then, Chris, I know you mentioned um, I Am Legend, the original yes. book. I Am Legend, original, okay. one of the older modern takes on zombies and, and vampires. And, like, boy, I don't think I want to say what the ending is because it's a twist, even if you've seen the movie. Right. It's it has a so different ending. Good. Is the only movie the Will Smith movie? Yeah. No, there is the Omega Man and there's The Last Man on Earth. Which are early adaptations of I Am Legend, but I don't know if they adapt the vampire slash zombie element of it. Okay. But the whole premise of I Am Legend is that a virus hits the world that causes a lot of people to die, but also a lot of people to turn into these zombie-like creatures that are like lower intelligence. They're kind of retracing their steps through their normal day, and they want to kill They're definitely continuing the link between... A lack of intelligence. Yes. That losing your mind. Like, but not totally gone because they are conscious. They just think differently. And there is a major twist in this book, and I would highly recommend you go read it. But yeah, I also recommend it. You read it too? Yeah, it's really good. Oh, no, I'm the only man out. The twist is essentially, without spoiling it, that some major societal change has happened, and the main character is on the wrong side of it. Yeah. Right? Interesting. Okay. And that kind of sets the, the scene for like, exploring zombie movies as a huge societal shift, right? But zombie movies are all, almost always about like what whole communities do, not just one person, right? Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say that I Am Legend is necessarily what we're going off of for the modern zombie movie. I would say George Romero. Yes. Right. Which I, I mean, I know about because I know facts, but I've, I've never seen any of his films. Not a single Romero movie. Don't tell my dad. He'll be um, upset. You might be surprised if you go watch a Romero movie now, because if you were to make a zombie game, like The Walking Dead, for example, right? Like you look at that and you think, oh yeah, it's subversive because it's not really about zombies. It's mm-hmm. about like people and people are the real horror. But that's like where the modern zombie genre started with Romero. And they kind of yes. got away from it, and then we're back. And to we're it. back there. Yeah. And and the Night of the Living Dead. What's really different about it is 1968. that 1968. Uh, I wrote down. Yeah, I'm trying to get into dates, guys. Unlike I Am Legend, where it's a virus. Um, in Night of the Living Dead, it is purely magical. Like people are coming out of graves to come and eat you, and they literally eat people. Their and that's goal the is first time. That's a big part of zombies. Is that true? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay, then it maybe it popularizes that take on it. Here's how it works in Night of the Living Dead, as far as I remember, because it's been like 10 years since I last saw it. Anyone who dies reanimates as a zombie unless they, like, I think, unless they like burn the bodies or like you have to destroy the so body. Everybody has vampire rules. Um, <laughs> so zombies are not necessarily interested in spreading zombieism because that's not how it spreads. It's just if you it just die. Happens. So there is a scene in the movie where someone's child dies, gets back up as a child and then murders her mom with a knife. 
I've heard about that. Scene. Yeah. So that was, it, is that like the scene that everyone? Um, I don't no, know necessarily. I, I mean, I, I, I bring it up to show that stuff. like the motivations of the zombies are so unclear. Like it, all it means is that zombies don't want you alive and they want you dead, but they don't necessarily want to just bite your neck or something and then turn you into a zombie. It seems like there's some kind of hatred, like some kind of resentment, like con- yeah, contempt for the living in the dead. Like they're jealous of what we have and they want to take it from. Now us. I've always read or seen that Romero's zombies are largely a critique on consumerism. It is consumerism and class warfare. Okay. So ev- almost every single um, Romero movie is about class to some extent. And in the Night of the Living Dead, a really major part of that is that it's one of the first movies like aimed at like a mainstream audience made by like white people to f- uh, feature a black lead. Oh. And he really takes it to some interesting places because the the black main character is kind of the leader of the people stuck in this house. Yeah. Some of them are like very overtly racist toward him. So that leans into the critique of class warfare then too. Yeah, it's it's essentially saying that like once zombies are a thing, assumptions about class are going to change because there's no rules anymore. And also people who may have been in a different uh, position societally, they're going to see this as a chance, not like unreasonably for class mobility. And the ruling class is going to do whatever it can to hold on to what power it can keep. And it's kind of fun to like look at the progression of this through the movies because they are all arguably related to each other. They all show different stages of a zombie outbreak. Mm. So Night of the Living Dead, everything is chaos. It's contained at the end of the movie because they know how to like stop more zombies from happening, right? As long as you don't die, you're not going to be a zombie. You don't turn into a zombie until you die. So the rules Perfect. are very I'll clear. just live forever. Easy. Like, <laughs> but like if you know someone's about to die, you're not worried about like surprise zombies, right? right? And they do some interesting stuff where like the black man and the white woman who are the two main characters become in like direct conflict, like violent conflict with each other. And it's kind of an early show of intersectionality and different types of classes who were marginalized in a different way now come to blows with each other. But it is a common thing in Romero movies to put like a black male lead and a white female lead together and use them to represent different I have to put this on my movie list now. The one that everyone will talk about the most, I think, is Dawn of the Dead. So Dawn of the Dead... Is that the one that came out first? Came, comes the, That's the, it's the one after Night of the Living oh, okay. Dead. Which is a decade later. Yeah. And Dawn of the Dead is also mid-outbreak. Not all of his movies are mid-outbreak. Okay. And that one uh, shows you some survivors who very clearly escape the outbreak and find normalcy by taking over a mall. And they have the zombie issue almost completely out of con- like under control. And... One of the reasons I would say, like, if you were to watch one zombie movie to understand where zombie movies have gone now, it would be Dawn of the Dead, because it shows you that even if Romero is making a movie of people caught in the middle of an outbreak, that movie will soon be about them getting it, their, like, immediate position under control, and then humans becoming the thing that hurts other humans the most. Which I think is what The Last of Us does, too. Yes. It's definitely, we talked about how it's really not about the zombies, it's just using the zombies that aren't zombies yes. as a vehicle for a commentary on what humans do when the rules it change. Is, it is most comparable to the Romero movie Land of the Dead, okay. which is Land of the Dead is another like 
almost like subgenre now, like uh, Warm Bodies and The Walking Dead, where it's like about entire communes and how they deal with the normalcy of a zombie apocalypse where government kind of sort of exists again. And like the ruling powers are trying to figure out how can they like now capitalize on the zombie problem? How can they make this work in their favor to enforce old, perhaps outdated ideas of how society is supposed to run? And that's where The Last of Us is. Yeah, and uh, some stated inspirations for the game um, were The Walking Dead, the comic and the TV series, 28 Days Later, and also, surprisingly, True Grit. True Grit? Yeah. That's cool. Hmm. The original or the remake? I'm not sure. I think another really big inspiration that I read was the obvious one, Resident Evil. Oh, yeah. So we jump definitely. I mean, we talk about how after Ramirez, then in the 80s and 90s, zombies kind of fade out. In the 80s, yeah. And then mid-90s is Resident Evil. Resident Evil, pretty big game in the 90s that is directly based off of George Romero's work. Okay. So, like, there are many stories you can hear of, like, Hideki Kamiya, director of, like, Devil May Cry and Bayonetta. Okay, He worked like on the first two Resident Evils under Shinji Mikami. yeah. And when it was time for Hideki Kamiya to work on Resident Evil 2, Mikami was so insistent on Kamiya, like, watching this because he didn't think Kamiya would get zombies unless he specifically watched George Romero's take on them. Interesting. That he, I think he, like, trapped Kamiya in a room, (laughs) sat him down, put a videotape in and said, this is your job. Like, we're going to watch this together if I have to fucking watch it with you. (laughs) And it shows I feel up. Like because, I need to like, start doing that with people in my favorite movies. Yeah, <laughs> everyone buckle up for singing in the rain all the time. When's the video game adaptation coming? God, hopefully any day. That would be. <laughs> Is it like just dance? No, it's definitely there's music involved. You have there to are music write video games. songs. No, I mean, be like besides rhythm games. Like what? Um, well, okay. Rhapsody. We're gonna get off topic. Yeah. This is a whole nother thing that I'd love to explore, but not today. Okay, yes. Different. So zombies. So Resident, Resident Evil, Evil, the name originally Biohazard in Japan, which to which reflect, I think is interesting too because it's definitely a shift in the magic versus yes. medical kind of exactly. Fear. So Resident Evil kind of popularized the idea of zombieism being the product of pig pharma. Yes. <laughs> um, and that's what I think that the American name has aged so much better than mm-hmm. the, the name than, biohazard. Oh, for sure. Because really? Resident yeah. Evil is a pun, right? Resident Evil describes the fact that you're going into, into a mansion and you're encountering zombies there. But it also refers to the fact that the cause of all problems in the world now are this big pharma company that actually owns Raccoon City. So Raccoon City is a company town that built up around this like pharmaceutical corporation. Okay. So you live in the town that yes. is you're, Yeah, you're in the police. So like every Resident so Resident Evil 1 is about saying, oh no, this mansion is like infested with this evil. Resident Evil 2 then continues it into saying, like, actually this entire town is like at the mercy of which does connect to with the idea of consumerism, possibly? Yes. Okay. Well, I would say more to like corporate corporatism. Yeah. Like, okay. Th- like Resident Evil's whole thing is that we have trust, we have essentially trusted corporations to be like gatekeepers of our communities. And like, what do we do if they, the shepherds are now like, what if we experiment? So maybe on our that's sheep? the flip of the consumerism fear then. It's not, oh, it's our fault for buying into this. It's, oh, it's, 
We have their yes. fault for. Well, it's both, like, right? Well, it's yes, like we've, we've given them the this. keys to our community, right. and like, well, the obvious result of that is they see us as chattel. They right. should have made the judges play uh, Resident Evil in the Citizens United case. Oh boy, <laughs> I agree, but let's not talk about. So, okay, too deep into Resident Evil, yeah, because that probably deserves its own episode. But I feel like now we have the basis of like, because nothing. I would argue nothing has really changed about. What does a zombie piece of media accomplish? Yeah. Like they're they're all going back to Resident Evil and Romero in some way. Yeah. Which I think brings us to The Last of Us. Right. Something that I think is interesting for The Last of Us, zombies in this game or the infected as they call them throughout the playthrough are all mostly humanoid. Um, they're either yeah. like heavier or, or like have slightly fungal heads. Yeah. But they're more, I would say they're more rational than a resident evil zombie they also make human sounds yeah like i watched sterling replay it this week well sterling played it for the first time so i watched sterling play it this week and i was really struck by the very human sounds that all the zombies make i actually read that even the clickers who make their little click 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 sounds they had a human voice actor come in and she recorded those clicks you know what this reminds me of i didn't think about it till now but system shock um, mm-hmm. From the '90s, uh, the precursor to Bioshock. Bioshock, yeah. Also, f- among many other things, features uh, zombies because yeah. there's actually in System Shock One and Two there are actually multiple factions. One of them is an AI that controls a ship, like right. a very alien esque villain. The, the and other, that's the cover art for the game. Yes, right? the yeah. woman on the cover. Yes, the other is the many. I believe it's called, which is the virus or the fungal thing or whatever that is like creating zombies Mm. and they are both like talking to you like you have to like figure out in system shock 2 is the ai or are like the zombies like the bigger threat Mm. and one of the things that that kind of shows you is that the humans who are being turned into zombies they are conscious of the fact that like they have lost control so they're they're kind of like the guy in Get Out, like they're, they're watching like their body somewhere. do things. Ooh, that's the worst and kind of zombie to yeah. be. So when they attack you, if you listen carefully, they're saying "I'm sorry" and "help in me." System shock. Yeah. Oh. Wow. And I kind of interpret that as what's happening in The Last of Us because it is another entity entirely that is controlling the bodies of yeah. these humans. It's a fungal growth. Well, right. And so two points that uh, what we're talking on the fungal growth before I get back to my point, um, they're called cordyceps and they actually got the idea for this. No, no, no. (laughs) From a 2006 or so Planet Earth episode on cordyceps, which are the fungi that invade the bodies of ants and force them to like go and stand in like optimal height, heightened areas. The most moisture and stuff. So that when they eventually die, the spores will spread for. Oh my God. It's like, like Paris or whatever from Pokemon. Right. um, I, my high school science teacher made us watch that, I think. And I think they can also, is this the same fungus or a different one that can burrow into like mammals too? And then try to, that's like anamorphs. The, I'm not hundred percent sure I on that one. Get mixed up with a different. There's another fungus that like ruins brains. Have, have you and makes them do things? Have I seen animorphs? Red or seen animorphs? Because I was an animal. Okay, I'm glad you asked because first of all, I've done a report on this author recently, oh. and I've read all the animorphs, and I watched the TV show, and I attempted to play the game on the Game Boy, <laughs> but it wasn't a very well, good. Maybe game. you can answer this question: Are they the Yerks, the Zerks? No, I don't remember. Oh, so well, there goes my expertise. It's a parasite. <laughs> it's like a a parasite that like goes into the the human's brain and controls them, and okay. that's like the villain of animorphs. Oh, is technically right. another like simpler form of life. Well, that's this. 
Huh. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. So anyways, cordyceps, which is the name of the fungus here, um, was the inspiration. And they just said, well, what if it eventually could control humans? Bada bing, bada boom. Yeah. We have The Last of Us. However, Another reason why I think I'm right to not enjoy watching Planet Earth. No, Planet Earth, <laughs> Planet Earth is amazing. Because it's real. <laughs> so something that I found really interesting through their development was that they had other designs for their zombies. Okay. So there wasn't just like the clicker, the like just infected and the bloater. They had a couple other things like an infected elephant which had like crazy like tendrils and like other like infected humans that had tendrils coming out of their back. And they decided to nix them. I think you can still see what they were intending in their early, early <laughs> That would uh, make it even videos. closer to Resident Evil 4. But yeah. what, what they decided on was they, to get rid of them because it got rid of like the human yeah, feel I of agree. it. Yeah, and no. so they wanted so, it to be really... To be clear, the types of infected which will shift from calling them zombies to infected in The Last of Us are the the kind of the regular ones. They're very humanoid. They can move very quickly, which we'll touch on too. Mm -hmm. The clickers, which I remember the most because the fungus has distorted their head and they kind of use echolocation. They walk around clicking and yeah. that's how they find And then you. they're very obviously like mushroom people at this point. Like they yes. have fungal growths everywhere over their head. And then the bloaters are just like the big, Chunky ones. Yeah, they, they, the fungus has turned into like metal, like in, almost into armor plating. Yeah, yeah, they described it as like infected that have been infected for a long time yeah. become bloaters. Kind of like the tyrants. Yeah, a yeah. little bit. And you know, this is just kind of mycology and the study of mushrooms in general. Just it's just mushrooms are spooky when you think about yeah. them. They're yeah. like gods. Mushrooms like they they don't abide by the same rules we do. They have yeah. different needs, but like they are they do slowly like colonize cultures and like locations right the, the yeah. largest living being is a mushroom and it is like the size of oregon where how well where all of the mushrooms that are in like this area are connected are all connected underneath okay. and i was like how does that work they're they're like a fucking sense. faction yes. it's underground <laughs> like they're they're like an entire like entity so there's definitely okay we'll come back to this a little bit but since we're talking about the types of zombies that aren't really zombies they're infected the last of us does make the decision to go with fast zombies for one of them yes which is a shift away from romero's very slow zombie and from resident evil yes i actually saw that someone cited the dogs in resident evil as one of the first like like fast, fast zombie ones, yeah. things so it's definitely that i don't remember the walking dead do they do slow or fast i've actually never seen the walking dead i've seen some of it and read some of the um, comics the game uses slow zombies i'm pretty sure okay okay I didn't get very yeah, far in the game either. I think so. So I think that's interesting. And then obviously they decided to go with a fungus that exists yes. because it's a believable yeah. aspect of, of life. And I, I would also argue that the use of fast zombies serves the the mechanical purposes in this game. Yes. So if I were to, like, I think we should probably say, what kind of game is this? So I should preface this with the fact that, like, I would argue Resident Evil 4 is, like, one of the first modern third-person shooters. Like, okay. most games from La The Last of Us to, I would even say, God of War are based on the structure and the basic control scheme of Resident Evil 4. That game is so good. It's like, <laughs> it is a revolutionary game for action games, yeah. right? I would say, but even on a more specific level... 
The Last of Us is essentially taking the basic shooting and movement of Resident Evil 4 and like the basic way you explore your environment. Right. And it is combining that with stealth, like Metal Gear Solid, like simple yes. stealth. Enemies can hear you. You right. want to hide. Which is why I think that they're fast. Yeah. So that there is a reason to like stealth your way through levels, yeah. right? Which I like. I love stealth games. And finally, I would say it combines it with, and I, I swear to God, this is what I thought, because we're going to talk about developer intent in a second, but Eco. Eco yeah. is a game from oh, the PS2 yeah. about um, a boy who is trying to lead a a mostly helpless girl through a tower, and he has to figure out ways for her to traverse the environment because she is not as agile and strong. Which I do remember you bringing that up early on into playing it. Right. And then you would literally like grab her hand and like take her, like we'll talk about the feminist themes of that (laughs) on a different episode. But it is a very interesting take on the idea of like you being a shepherd. And very few games do that. The Last of Us is one of the games that does that. And does it well. Does it pretty, pretty well. I would say like... The last, the way The Last of Us uses it, though, I would really say it's a stealth shooter. I wouldn't yeah. say it's a traversal game, but this is one of those ways in which video games can accomplish something without necessarily attaching interesting decisions to them. Mm-hmm. So Sterling, I saw Sterling point this out while he was playing the game. He's like, none of these are really puzzles. This is just untying a knot. This is you putting places where the game obviously tells you to put them. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Like. The places where you are escorting a person in this game are not there for you to make a hard decision like you would with shooting. Or to do something. It's it's like, for you to, to there's no like ludo like puzzle. Right, right. There's no ludological decision. Yeah. It's there for you to physically feel like you are experiencing the same thing that Joel is, which is growing closer to this like ward you have. Yes. And you know, I'm gonna preface this statement with I really enjoyed the game, uh-huh. but this the, the gameplay did kind of leave me wanting a lot of the time, uh-huh. especially with how many pallets I had to find and unclip yeah. and move. And it didn't really feel as you're saying, like I like a little bit of puzzling aspects to it, but it just kind of was like, how long are you willing to like search this giant reservoir for a pallet yeah. that you can use? And I'm like, and, and oh. it's frustrating. I, I think we should get into this later because it's going to be very relevant. But I would say that like, I would actually say that there's so little decision making and so much tedium to like the traversal that I think is very intentionally making you feel like the game has taken a pause so you can take care of this person who's with yeah. Right, so and so it does build that and make you grow closer in that respect. So I, I guess it does serve a purpose because the kind of like almost Lawrence of Arabia, I feel like I'm wandering through the desert yeah. forever. Here, I feel like I actually do have to take care of this, this kid. Yes. And so- for the purpose of like just establishing what their goals are, the developers do describe this as Resident Evil 4 plus uh, Eco. Yes. Not Metal Gear Solid, but I guess attributing this stealth every to game, that. Metal Gear Solid, if you have stealth. Yeah, like it's 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 a little bit. It's painting with too wide of a brush, maybe. Yes. Yes. So, do you think we're ready to get into the game? Yeah. So what's Hell yeah. what's where does this game start us? So before we, okay, I know I just said let's get into the game, but I want to start with a little <laughs> world detail about newspapers because okay. the game is a pandemic that is obvious. I think I think transcends to an epidemic in the game world. So this fungus oh, is opposite. growing. Pandemic oh, is the it's an word. epidemic that started transitions into a pandemic. Yes. I've obviously been oh, hearing one more than the up. other lately. This will come up because it's very relevant that yes. they call it an epidemic. Yes. So which is why I want to talk about newspapers. Uh-huh. First of all, in case you didn't know, in Uncharted 3 
you can find a newspaper as Nathan Drake in like one of the bars that points to it's this weird fungus and no one knows what to do. And that's partially because the Last of Us announcement got delayed. So they had thought they would be able to announce the game before Uncharted 3 came out. But then they didn't. Wow. (laughs) So everyone's probably thinking like, oh, my God, is Uncharted? Was it Uncharted 3? I think it's three, yeah. So they're like, is Uncharted 4 a zombie game? Yes. So there was this... Well, most people didn't really know it. They were like, this is a weird... Well, Reddit you know, did. Yes. Well, whoever. Reddit noticed Game everything. facts at the time. So I think that's just a fun fact. And also kind of implies that the universes are connected somehow. Also, I think somewhere in The Last dark, of Us... Well, I know. <laughs> somewhere in The Last of Us, there's a hint that there's an Uncharted movie in that universe. So I don't know. But... I just think that's a fun fact. Oh, there are a lot of movie posters in The Last mm-hmm. of Us. And the other newspaper is one that, Chris, you noticed in The Last of Us, where you they, said- Yes, one of the last newspapers, and I think it's appropriate to bring this up now, talking about like what's going on in the world. Uh, the very last newspaper to be printed in the old world was saying an epidemic just happened. So I think the idea of this was to show that the collapse of society happened so quickly no one was there to to uh, label it a pandemic because to like officially say it is transitioned. When it goes across nations. Yeah, I don't know if that's the exact line, but it is the next Some step. level of scale. Okay. Yeah, the next step of saturation. Yeah, I love that global a- saturation. <laughs> Sorry, that's a joke for your Resident Evil people. It's such a little <laughs> thing in the game to say this virus spread so quickly. Even our media couldn't name it. Somewhere a writer for uh, The Last of Us is like, yeah, that's totally what I meant. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I mean, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Oh, no. When they say epidemic, that that's for a reason. Right. right, I assume that when they made this game, they researched all of the things about this. They actually uh, used the 1918 flu epidemic as an example and kind of like how they based it. Is that the, what what is called? What what, what a lot of people call the Spanish influenza, but it's just, you know, an epidemic. There there is like layers to why. Well, it's largely because we associate it with uh, World War I and people being over there and the amount of people in Europe. So technically America may have had it prior to its prevalence in Spain and helped contribute to another rise of it in Europe and oh, brought it wow. back. But layers on layers on layers. Let's not call it the American <laughs> flu strategically. <laughs> I mean, it probably thinking. didn't come from America either. It probably right. came from where most of our epidemics and pandemics come from. Viruses. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this epidemic slash probably it's a on pandemic. on the TV news, which is where we start the game in a girl's room. TVs are on. And importantly, you are playing as a girl. So it, yes. it checks out that you're in a little girl. Uh, her name is Claire? Sarah. 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 And so what are you doing at the beginning? What What's Sarah's deal? What's she worried about? Well, Sarah is kind of just waiting for her dad, Joel. Um, fun fact, the Japanese game manual gives him a last name of Miller, but nowhere else. Whoa. Yeah. They give both Joel and Ellie a last name, but it's not mentioned in any other media or considered canon. Because I actually think it says a lot. And I don't want to get ahead of it myself, but I think it says a lot that there's no last names in this game. Yes, I agree. Um, and even in the, so I actually went and read the comic book and I like, which I have. I'm excited to hear about these. I don't even know if I saw a last name in those either. Okay. I could be wrong. People let us know if we're wrong. But okay. so your little girl, what is she like, 13? She's got to be, 14? yeah. I can't remember She's if young. they actually give her an age, but she definitely has that. 
early teen vibe. Yeah. That old enough to have like a personality, but young enough to still be very dependent. Exactly. She's waiting on her father to come she, home. She has a, so you, you walk around her room and I want to dwell on this because this sets up so much about her relationship with her dad. It's his birthday coming up. Mm-hmm. She has a card for him. You can read the card and it says like, you're the best dad in the world. Um, you have like a gift for him and you're just, I think actually they do show you the scene where he comes home yes. yep. and you give him his gift. It's a watch. It's a watch. And they fall asleep and then he leaves. He's just gone. And she wakes up, I think, in her room. Yeah. And she's like, where's my dad? It's like the middle of the night. And then she's like, shit, I forgot to give my dad the card I wrote for him. And so you're wandering around the house looking for your dad. If you go into his room, there's a TV on talking about some kind of weird behavior happening. The build in this is so good because you're exploring the house and it's like this epidemic is seeping into her home because it starts with the TV. I think this is where you can find the newspaper as well. And the TV, as they're talking about the riots, I believe you see an explosion happen in the skyline. Right. And you see. And police cars go by. Yeah. As a video game, I think that them putting you in the shoes of a child really does make you feel a little bit more on edge because, you know, kids don't have the same kind of like power or capability and you kind of get that feeling of helplessness as you're wandering through. Yeah. I feel like this reminds me a lot of like what I really liked about the opening scene of Half-Life where, and this is like common in games now, where like... You are living a brief moment of normalcy, and then you see this inciting incident happen, and like you have no control over this happening. I think that's such a classic thing in movies and in books where, okay, here is your baseline, and this thing happens, but you know it's not normal. But maybe we don't see it as much in video games because video games are so much about, are you living the exciting Yeah, they want you to be doing something, and some games do it not great, but... (laughs) I think this game is is like is a very efficient use of of your lack of control and like your slow intake of information as you see your society collapse around you. Yes. So this girl, like, you see all the things that are about to be left behind when she yes. leaves her house, right? So she goes downstairs, and that's when the action really starts because. Joel comes through the screen door. And Joel is her father, which I think we said. Yes, her thing. father Joel comes I'm bad through. At names. Uh, I believe he's a contractor of some kind. Yeah, definitely. Like they don't really go into it very much, but yeah, in my mind, for some reason, he's a roofer. I don't know why. Okay, I'll that. buy it. I like that. Character. I imagine him as like the dad from Smart Guy for some reason. I like that. <laughs> I don't know why. Less. Um, but he's like oh, Smart Guy. Smart guy. I was thinking smart house. <laughs> no, I don't even know what the dad is. Wait, is there a dad in smart house? I don't know. It's me, the, the house, the your house. father. Yeah, yeah. I just don't, I, the house is the parent. Because he wants about? to set up the dad with a wife. <laughs> yes. But the house oh my falls God. in love with the dad. Yes, that is, is not strange. Joel's situation. Thank um, you. But Joel but is like. maybe better than a zombie apocalypse. He's like a gig economy guy. Like he has a small business, I think, and he has clients and like he has individual jobs. So he's yeah. living day to day. And he like, definitely feels not... like he's doing something that's that's a little more physical. He's yes. fit. He's, he's a got the very... notably worn hands. He's a blue collar guy, but he doesn't work for the man. Like he yes. has his own business. So he that's telling us he values his independence to some degree. And I will say the the game starts in Austin, Texas. So that's yeah. where they're set. Which oh, yeah, is we're in the south. hugely important. I think it explains why a lot of people have guns. Yes. Uh, But it is interesting when we see, because the game is a lot about travel in different locations. And I mean, you know, it's Texas. It is a... It is a state that historically is known for rebellion. Yeah. Like it's a place where people are 
outwardly proud of the idea of being in opposition to like some greater structure, yeah. right? I hope we are endearing any Texan listeners. <laughs> not always Remember for good reasons. Alamo. Let's say <laughs> not historically not for good reasons, but I think that is part of the cultural backdrop of this. Yes. Thing, right. Um, so Joel comes in and he's like, something's going well, the, the infected bust through their glass yes. window. A neighbor comes through. Yeah. He has to shoot the neighbor. That's the first and Sarah watched act it. of violence you see. My Sarah didn't watch. Um, and Sterling I believe- Sarah just wandered around trying to leave every room without seeing anything. <laughs> That's not true. Drove actually, depending on what you do, it might take a while to figure out, like, to actually see the... You might not even see the explosion, which I thought was cool. Ster- Sterling barely did. I saw the explosion. I didn't, <laughs> didn't see, see the cops. Yeah. Oh, okay. I had trouble backseat gaming this part of... Because I so, will look at every detail. Lindsay's like, speaking, look at this, and I purposely turned the other way. Speaking of backseat gaming, you guys leave the house because you're running away. He gets his gun. Uh, his brother Tommy shows up with a car, and he's like, Tommy, get us out of here. Keep us safe. You get in the... This is, I think this is amazing. You as Sarah. You as Sarah, get because you're still Sarah. You get in the back seat, and now like a Tommy... Truck. and Yeah, and Tommy and Joel are driving you around the town trying to figure out how to get out. And you have this limited control in a way that, like, so strongly evokes my childhood where you can look out the different windows as, like, panic is spreading everywhere and everything's going to shit. You have no control over where the car is going. Yeah. You obviously have no control over, like, what's happening outside the window. But the game is still letting you try to, like, take what limited control you can get. Like, choosing your yes. vantage point. Which I think is... What window are you looking out? Unique to this as a game. Yeah. Like, that That experience is not something you could get from a book or a film. Yeah. And I think it adds to the feeling that the chaos is everywhere. It's one of the few places I would say that The Last of Us really did something that not a lot of games do mechanically, Mm -hmm. which is I've I've only seen this and I think Silent Hill Shattered Memories where it will actually like intentionally put you in a car or something similar and you have no control over what you're seeing, but you can still move around. Like you can still do stuff. You just can't, I guess Half-Life to some limited degree, (laughs) but like, Actively putting you in like a cage and like having shit happen around you. You know, not a lot of games do this as well as The Last of Us. I I want to give credit where credit is due here. I think the other really important thing that happens in this prologue is it introduces the idea that maybe the zombies aren't the scariest part. Yeah, you do not. You don't see zombies for until after you see in the explosions and stuff like that. Right. Right. Well, I mean, what's happening in in when you're driving through town to get out, you end up getting T-boned at an intersection. Yeah. And then you take over control for Joel as he's carrying his daughter, Sarah, because she broke her leg, assumedly. So you're running through town and your brother is like helping and like covering you while you're like, you can't, you can't protect her from the zombies because your, your hands are full. Other people are running faster than you because they're not carrying a kid. And there's panic everywhere. And everyone's panicking. I think that's probably part of what the explosions are too. Like, yeah, they say riots, and I think it's unclear how much of that is people who are infected causing chaos yes. and people panicking. I interpreted chaos. it as everyone's calling it a riot because they're seeing people getting attacked. Yes. They don't know what's actually happening. Well, and, and I think importantly, the only thing that's hurt Joel or Sarah at this point is another human who, in a sense of panic, T-boned their car. And mm. then you finally managed to get out to the outskirts because uh, Tommy's like, I'll hold them off. You go. I'll meet up with you. And you get out to the end, edge of town, and there is a guy with a machine gun, and he's like, "Stop there!" And he's a soldier. He, there's a soldier because they're setting a perimeter. Right, around they're the setting town. up a perimeter around the town, and he's like, "All right, 
guess I'm going to do my job. He's like, stay there. Don't go any further. And he's like, no, I'm not. Joel says, I'm not staying in this. And the guy ends up shooting. Well, remember, though, real important detail here. The soldier doesn't want to shoot Joel. Right. The soldier tells him, uh, tells like his superior over a radio, like there's two people here. One of them's a kid. But I think the what's unstated is that they have cut off all new like place all like barriers New to entry. like enter yes. the safe part of town and Joel didn't make the cut and so the superior tells him you have to kill them yeah and the soldier doesn't want to because they might be infected right. right but the soldier makes probably a choice he doesn't want to make which is I now have to like literally murder people because I don't know what the rules oh, are there's a whole book in that one character yes. who exists on screen for 30 oh, yeah. seconds. This story is probably happening everywhere around America, right. like simultaneously. And he very deliberately says, sir, he has a kid. Like, there's a little girl with him. Yeah. Side note, given that this is, we know that it's a fungus that slowly grows over time and that there is no single, like, there could not be a single event that causes everyone to turn into zombies at once. It actually makes me think the cause of this outbreak is, like, some isolated community or, like, workforce like miners or something that must have been existing as zombies for a while that suddenly got loose on the city because how else would all of these explosions and like these riots and all that happen all of a sudden it's not like i think it's definitely or maybe there was a mutated version of the fungus that just spread like sudden, like the we one know this strain is a fungus that suddenly, that exists. yeah. So if one strain could suddenly leap to humans, that's a good point. And then yeah. it's a fungus, so it's carried on the air. Like, yeah, people worry about other, you know, maybe pandemics that may or may not be happening, and the idea of okay, physical touch, like touching your face, trading, like any sort of like yeah. mucus or whatever, right? Fluids, fluids. That's or, the or maybe word. it hit like a well. This is just the air, because this is a rural. Not not where Joel is, but there are rural areas where you get like well water. Yeah. And it could be that one well had like the fungus, like a piece of earth shifted and fungus just fell into the water. If we think about the science behind this real one, its goal is to get high and spread its spores. So and I think what if the enemies do in this game is go into subways and like hide out there. Well that's, that's part true. of that's part of it too though, is you are adverse to light for a while, I think, as a part of... Yeah, yeah. you do become photosensitive, so... So we see some hints about how the way that this virus works must be related to fungal growth. Right, because I think that the idea is something transcended so it could be contracted by humans, and then from there... Yeah. Like, if it gets in one human, humans are going to be much better at spreading this airborne fungus than a bug, right? So now it's just everywhere. I think it would spread rapidly. But so again, this is, I think this is the most, one of the most important moments of the game, right? Yeah. Joel carries his injured daughter to the soldier and asks them not to shoot. And he does. And he sets her down and tries to protect her. And the soldier shoots. The soldier shoots actually almost immediately. Right. And, and Joel tries to dodge the bullets and that goes as well, as well as you would expect. (laughs) Um, uh, Luckily, Tommy finally caught up and shoots the soldier in the head. So only like three bullets came out. Which is a cool, cold decision by Tommy. Tommy decided that quickly and acted on it quickly and effectively. Well, okay. So the the actual- I guess Tommy may not have known that was a soldier. The chain of events is that Joel jumps out of the way. Joel manages to only get grazed by the bullets. Um, Sarah is actually- killed she's dying in front of you you try to like resuscitate her but it doesn't work and the soldier walks over to them and is about to execute them and that's when tommy gets there and kills the soldier yeah so it's this very emotional 
It is. I mean, you're, you're Joel. And first of all, you started as Sarah. Yeah. And then the whole game becomes trying to save Sarah. And she's gone. Well, I think it's an interesting thing that video games can do um, is they give you control of something. They kind of Ned Stark you, spoilers. Um, but like, you're like, here's your protagonist. You're going to like live and be this person. And yeah, but you don't really have control. Like, right. It's, the game is saying like, do everything you can do with, within these rules, but the outcome is foregone. And what I love about it is that it, even from you, your perspective, but also Joel's perspective, there's nothing that you could have done about this. Yes. There's nothing about the way you played the game that's putting you on the wrong side of that line. And, you know, that's going to fuck up anybody. Right. This is obviously a break in, I don't know, psyche, schema. Like, authority is now something that can shoot your daughter while you're asking for help. From Joel's perspective, fundamentally, he has realized that society might simply abandon you at any moment, and you will have no say in that. And that's where we leave off the prologue. And now we jump to a 20 years later. Yeah. A post-apocalypse. The prologue takes place in the year. I think the game came out 2013. Yeah. And then it jumps to 2033 and you are now in Boston. I like Boston. Yeah. So he traveled away. So probably I feel like the implication of that is that most of the South and the coast and not the coast, the South is what is now uninhabitable. Probably worse. And people retreated to the north. You definitely spend most of this game traveling along the north part of the country, too. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's true. It drops you in Boston, and you get to walk. You're just walking around as Joel, and there's another lady there who will learn his name, Tessa. Is that right? Tess. 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 Tessa is from Darkstalkers. That's Sorry. exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> so what do you, when you guys played through this part, what did you see? Because this is a lot of environmental storytelling, what does the game show you that tells you something about what society um, is in 2033? Here's what's funny. This is another thing. I'm not trying to talk about Half-Life constantly, but the opening of Half-Life 2 is trying to make you feel like you are a citizen in a fascist society mm-hmm. and you are going through checkpoints and you're getting on trains or whatever. And like there's guards who will kill you if you keep walking into them or don't follow the line of people in front of you. Yeah. And a lot of that same language is what you experience firsthand in this fir- in like the first real chapter of the game as you Joel are now trying to move from one part of the city to another and the game is showing you like signs posted and like guards everywhere. You they will literally shoot you yes. if you don't stand in line. What do you what kind of things did you like hear? What kind of things like, what did you well, piece together so, about that society? I mean, there were checkpoints. There were military guards everywhere. They were trying to keep things on lockdown. Yeah. I think the, the, the feel I got was if the government controls everything to an extreme level, then they can make sure that people can continue living and the infest, infected won't be able to get in. But as a result, they created like, like a kind of a dystopian future where people mm-hmm. were doing things for rations and ration, ration cards, cards which is the currency of this world. which is which they uh, do there is also yeah. a news montage during the time jump that talks about the government oh, falling apart God, yes there is a line a very chilling line where the military says we've now that the bureaucrats are gone we can finally solve this problem <laughs> never a comforting line to hear yeah <laughs> So that's the Boston that you're dropped in. You are Joel. You have a partner, Tess, who's, he's, how old would you put Joel at? 50 at this point? Probably older. He said that he had, 50s. he said he had Sarah very, very young yeah. in the game. So I'd say 
when I'd say early 30s in the prologue. Right. So, I so was early thinking, 50s. I was thinking late 20s. Late 20s. Yeah. Around there. So, so like a li- just over middle age, I would say. Yes. Oh, the yeah. other important thing to note about the prologue is that you don't see Sarah's mom and not in a way where it's like, where's her mom? It's like, there's obviously a known reason why she's not in the picture, whether she's passed away or they separated. Like it doesn't touch on that, but I think that emphasizes the bond that Joel probably had with her as a single father too. Yeah. So now he's here and Tess is his partner in crime. And And, they are. The game is deliberately vague about what their relationship is. Yes. I don't think you ever get an answer because later it, it, it's a directly a directly asked question, and he's yes. like, eh, I don't "We know it's romantic. Yeah, we are pretty. We can be pretty sure." Oh wait, of him it. and Tess? Yes. Oh, I thought you meant him and the mom. Actually, no. Okay, so uh-huh. this is a thing that Troy Baker voiced Joel, and when he saw the script for his interactions with Tess, he is the one who pushed for there to be the like hint romance? of romantic yeah. tension. Yes. Yeah, great choice because the way it comes up is so. Heartbreaking. It tells you so much about. Oh my god! I keep wanting to call him Gerald because for some reason Joel reminds me of uh, what's his name? Gerald from Witcher? No, no, Gerald oh. Butler. Oh, Gerard, Gerard Butler. 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 Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. Ooh. He actually says it, Jared. Je- what? Yeah. If oh, it's oh, Scottish, god, so you don't yeah. say that. I would buy into that fan casting. Yeah. So I don't know if he could do the Southern accent, but he's got the look. This would make a great movie, I would say. So I'm all for that. <laughs> so we're getting an Uncharted movie. So um, yeah, I don't know which one I want more though. I think I want a Last of Us movie. I definitely want a Last of Us movie more. Um, although you know, this is one of those things where your participation is pretty important. I think that's true in Uncharted. Oh, I haven't played Uncharted, so we'll find oh my out. God, I love Uncharted. Maybe I next love season. So Tess and uh, Joel. Joel's relationship is established as romantic, and but the first thing we hear very from tertiary, her, like it's not, yeah. it's not clear. Right, it's romantic, but not like there's nothing formal about how they see each other. As they far, just as far seem as we can very see. interdependent. Yes. I would say, and used to relying on each other. And we know at the beginning that they are supposed to be, they're supposed to be some kind of deal. And Tess tells uh, Joel it went wrong. This guy named Robert did this to me. We got to go fuck him up. So yeah, he they, took he took their guns. They head to where Robert is, which includes going through the uh, the outside walls mm-hmm. into like where infected have now been externally quarantined. I guess it's the <laughs> classic quarantine. Yeah, it's like the classic extra teen post apocalyptic zombie movie trope where like there's big walls and like. Society has essentially created uh, a circle within which zombies yeah. haven't gotten. And so they have to briefly venture out there. So you see how the infected work. You see the fungal growths everywhere. They have to wear masks to yeah. get through. And, you know, this is where the environment changes to. So you start off in a gray and brown city. When you go outside of the walls, you kind of see, like, why is it tempting for people to want to go out there? It's very green. Everything yeah. is overgrown. Like, nature is reclaiming um, like, like, uh, industrialized society. Yes. And then you return to the land of the gray and the brown. And that's where you battle Robert and his men to get your guns back. Which, which I again, think is subject the to game the is really hitting you over the head with the idea that the dangerous people are other people. Yes. Or the dangerous enemies are other it's people. Other people. The then it's the zombies. Then it's the people again. Yes. And you get into a very violent gunfight that I think this is where the game this makes gun the fight first. feels very Uncharted-esque. It's uh-huh. over the top. It's just a cover-based shooter. Oh, yeah. Like, you you meet, you walk into a, a place with all of this obvious, like, waist-length cover. You meet some people. They're like, oh, we got to fight. 
Both sides immediately run to the opposite <laughs> ends of the arena and you get behind cover and Which the game teaches ball. you. Which is interesting because I think the game moves away from that kind of fight scene. Thank God. Well, the game later will start you. This is the only scene where people are like, we got to obey the rules of cover combat. And like they run to the like, it's like, it's like old war. It's like all right, march your men into this line. We're gonna march yeah. at each other until we're but all dead. But the rest be, of the game, they start in those positions. I think right? it could be intentional too, showing the difference between how people function within that quote unquote society. Yeah. And then once Joel's goals change, and his morals start to shift too, and he's introduced to new new worlds and new types of enemies than the one you see at first. Cause maybe within oh. a community, it is a lot more like gang fight. Like, Oh, okay. Let's Oh, so you interpreted that scene as like, even within the fiction, they're like, we're going to have us a, a battle to some extent. Yeah. Like there's some sort of normalcy to this kind of shootout within the city. I think mm-hmm. there's some sort of agreed upon pattern of, all right, I'm going to get behind cover. Like, let's go. So I don't know. I liked it. Okay. But I also think See, that it's a total. So this is like shift. a Clockwork Orange thing. I don't know. I refuse to. The Warriors. Finish or reading a Clockwork Orange. Have you not seen the Warriors either? No. The War- well, if you've, you've you seen the Odyssey. Like I've seen the Odyssey. <laughs> yeah, the Odyssey yeah. that, well, that's the where Odyssey. this comparison falls apart. <laughs> you get there. So Joel is on the Odyssey. It's actually not the Odyssey for the Warriors. I'll tell. Well, I'll tell you about it later. Anyway, it's a different right. Greek classic. So, um, which one? Rob Robert. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Robert reveals to them that he has kind of double-crossed them and sold their weapons to someone else, and he sold them to a group known as the Fireflies. And you've seen hints at what the Fireflies are around town. They're obviously some... Rebel group. Mm-hmm, like a militia group that's anti the fascist government that's that's sprung forth, this, like, military-run government, right? So at this point, Tess and Joel, hey, I guess we got to go meet up with now, the Fireflies. Here's something important, right? And, and and I'm talking about this in very general terms here, but Joel and, and Tess have one type of product, right? I don't know what it is. They never tell you, okay? Robert has guns. He is the provider of their guns, okay? Joel and Tess and Robert are both organized crime factions, right? In any mafia movie you see, if some other organization, which you depend on for some like service or product that is your job to trade in this, and they say, sorry, we sold your stuff to the highest bidder, so we just broke our contract with you, right? And then they beat up one of your people. In very few mafia movies would they then go and eradicate the entire like production chain of like this other business because they still need them, right? That's but in, true. in a video, I think I would argue this is the first place where it uses an unusual event and in video game form, it, it's asking you to take it for granted that what you're doing is insane because what you're doing <laughs> is you are slowly walking through Robert's whole facility and murdering every last one in a direct gunfight. You're killing an entire like part of society. Yeah. Here. Counterpoint. Uh-huh. I don't think he's making guns. I think he's just scrounging them up. Yes, but he's, but he's providing that. Product. Like, you guys bought it from him for a reason. So, like, you presumably depend on other providers of things to trade with you for what you have. I agree because Chris's point is that in a in a small post-apocalyptic city situation, Robert may be the only vendor. Yeah. It's not like you can kill him and go to the nearest e- gun store. Even, even in, like, today, I strongly doubt that, like, the Yakuza go and eradicate other Yakuza families 
over a dispute, even if a little bit of violence was yeah. involved in that, right? Well, but in this yeah. case, you, you're you just like a whole organization that we trade with. They're just gone now. Yeah. That takes a certain amount of grit and, in, I would argue, insanity for two people to go and kill all of these people. But in a video game, I think that we like kind of accept that. And yeah. I think the game is setting that up for you for what's to come later that you are playing two special people. Again, any other video game, you mass murder people all the time. Link walks into the deco tree. He's like, no more animal life well, in here. That's why I thought it felt a little uncharted in the opening. And I think that maybe in a meta way, the developers wanted you to feel that way to yeah. think, okay, here's another game you know us for. Get into this comfy seat. It's just an uncharted shootout, like an action movie. And right. then it makes the the tones that the 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 game wants you to interact with feel even more like a shift. Yeah. And I think that doubles down on the idea that this new universe is a shift. Did you have and, other yeah. other points, Sterling? Mm, I just I don't think that production lines and things like that would really exist in this oh, I world. So I don't so if some person double crosses you, yeah. I think getting rid of their entire production line in this dystopian future is only natural because you can't trust them anymore. Hmm. I think I don't that know if Chris that's and true. Sterling would run two very different mafia <laughs> groups in the apocalypse. I think well, I would survive I, the dystopian I, mafia <laughs> future. First of all, I, I don't think anyone would do it because no one would have the I also capability. Don't. It's notable that you can. I think we can all agree. <laughs> It's okay. notable that, like, you two people can accomplish this at all. Yes. Right? Because when Marlene, you see Marlene, who who is the person who bought these guns under your nose. Yes. And she's like. The head so, of the fireflies. Yes. yes. After you, you beat Robert, you go find Marlene, who is the head of the fireflies. Right. And she says, you know, this person told me that I could trust you, Joel. And also, you guys just demonstrated to me that you are the most amazing killers I have ever seen in my life. Yes. She like makes an explicit note on how good they are at fighting. Yes. And she's like, I need people like you because what I'm about to have you, what I'm about to ask you to do is going to be the most dangerous mission that you could possibly it's gonna go It's going to be on. insane, yeah. which you clearly are. <laughs> yes. So you do, you meet up with Marlene and she's like, well, you guys are real good at killing. Also, I do have your guns. What if you do a thing for me? Because I need people real good at killing and you need guns. And she reveals that the thing she wants them to do is escort a young girl also around like... 14. Yeah. Is that her age? Yeah. I think okay. she's about yes. 14. Yeah. Definitely. No, 15. Okay. I was going to say definitely early teenage years. Yeah. And they... So the girl's named Ellie and Marlene's just like, you got to get Ellie to the Firefly base of Boston. Don't ask why. Which is the Boston State House. Yeah. It's fine. This is totally normal. Definitely not any sort of child slave thing. So don't question it. You know what? <laughs> I didn't read it as that, but I, that is a very, that's actually like, they don't know Marlene very well. They know no. she's the leader of the Fireflies. Um, the fact that they are referring to her on a first name basis, I would argue, doesn't necessarily mean they're close to her. Everyone seems to refer to each other by right. first names in this world. And I think that this is addressed a little bit later, but Joel's brother, Tommy, yeah. does was a member of the Fireflies and followed Marlene pretty closely, but you know, yeah. he's not... With them at the moment. So that's why Marlene knows, go to Joel. Yes. So Joel's like, don't know why they want this kid escorted, but uh, he and Ellie split up from Tess and uh, Marlene. Marlene has to go prove to Tess that they have the guns to offer them. So you go on an adventure through the infected area with Ellie, and you meet up Tess and Marlene, or I think just Tess, 
at the, yes. what is it, the state house yeah. or something? You end up, by the end, you're meeting up outside the state house. And you do go through some stuff with tests, too, where you go through a sewer because you're avoiding yeah. guards and soldiers. And you run into infected, which yeah. is the preferable the than police. guards. And you, there is a moment where... I will say the Boston State House is very iconic for its golden roof. So it's definitely something you see yes. from anywhere. Yeah, they actually, there is a mechanic in the game where they will say, that's our goal. And they'll point to some place across the city. And this happens multiple times throughout the game. And you can see, like what location you are going to eventually walk to. Yes. And that's the state house. Very memorable. Yes. So one important thing happens on the way there, like besides you like running away from guards and stuff, you are caught. Ellie uses a pocket knife to shiv a guard and uh, then rescues you. You then kill the guards and you find out that Ellie is infected. Yeah. She shows her arm that has been, you see the bite on her arm because the virus is airborne, yeah. so you can get it from spores, but those are usually visible. The and bite you can also is get it from being bitten. Three weeks old, immediately suspicious because the bite is scarred. Yes. Like it's it's clearly old. And so it's they very have no obvious that, that it is older than you ever see a bite, and Ellie has not turned. So yeah. Ellie shares, well, this is kind of why you're escorting me. I've bitten, I've been bitten, but I'm not technically infected. And the fireflies yeah. think that the cure to all this is within me. So, yes. So you get to the state house and Tess reveals she too has been bitten. Yes. But like in the skirmish that just happened, Tess is trying to convince Joel, yeah. we need to do this. We need to do this. Joel's like, I don't know if it's worth it for some little girl. I don't really know. And, you know, Joel obviously has issues with authority in society anyway, so Tess is like, this is very important to me. I believe in Ellie. Tess is on board the hope train. So this, and that happens because when they get to the state house, the fireflies have all been killed. Yes. So they're, so now Tess is like, we have to take Ellie to wherever the next firefly nest is. And you should do this for me. And this is where one of the best lines in the game is spoken. She says, Whatever this is, oh, I have it right us. here. Yeah, there's enough here that you have to feel some sort of obligation yes. to me, and that just tells us so much about Joel and how he has never ever recognized what this is between yes. him and Tess. And Tess is like so desperate to like make her life meaningful and to like make all of this slaughter. Because to Tess, uh, I think the other thing being revealed is that all of this killing she's done, she wants it to amount to something in the end, yes. and that's why she's like, if Ellie is infected. And I, now I believe that she is immune to this infection because I just got bit and I'm already feeling worse. worse. And yeah. it also looks a thousand and times worse. And it looks worse. worse. Then maybe this is our chance to be something other than like Mass bottom feeders <laughs> of society. Like yes. to be, do something other than just take for ourselves. Yes. And so and Joel reluctantly. And accepts. Yeah. And, and he agrees to continue carrying Ellie on. Only to his brother's place. Although, yeah. arguably, we still don't know if he has truly accepted this at this point because yes. he they're running away from, I believe, the government coming to hunt yes, down. Yes, the, the soldiers fireflies. are following, and Joel's like, okay, I'm going to keep taking her. I'll He's see like, what I can do. And Tess alive. is like, I'm going to stay behind. And she sacrifices herself to the soldiers, which is a faster, preferable death to turning infected. Right. She says, I will not turn into one of those things. Right. And I think that... For me, the way this scene is set up is really powerful because you go to the second level of the yeah. state house. Now you're Sarah. You're watching from a yes. vantage point. Tess is in the main entrance and you can kind of see her and you hear her like the gunshot and she she dies. And I do think this is an interesting fact. 
originally Tess was the main antagonist yeah, of the game. She was supposed to be the antagonist and chase you all the way across the town, uh, the country. And like double cross you. Why, what was her motivation? Well, they cut it because they didn't think her motivation was very believable. Gotcha. Well, so. yeah, <laughs> it was kind of like revenge, like get some sort of double crossing. And then they realized that her leading her band of troops across the country is unreasonable and nobody yeah. would do that. So they're like, okay, time to rework the story a yeah. little. Yeah, makes sense. So- and I, I love the role and, that and it, it shifts plays, the antagonist too. to the world. Yes. Right. And to humanity, maybe. Yes. Humanity in general, yes. basically. Instead Something of within us all. I think that there's that fear that the virus could get within people and bring out the worst in them. But really, the worst is in them without the virus. So... So moving through this, we're still in the first season of the game. So moving quickly yes. through so what happens next. The game is divided into seasons, like summer, fall, winter, spring. And summer, summer being about half of the game. Oh my God, <laughs> summer is too long. So real quick, they, they, they have to basically find a car to make it to the next Firefly base, which I believe is Colorado. They don't um, know that yet. They don't know it yet. They're trying to get to Tommy. Right. Right. Trying, trying to get to, get to Tommy. Tommy. So he's like, we need to get a car. I know this guy out in the suburbs who has a car, his name is Bill. They, you and Ellie start, I would say your first real journey where um, Joel has accepted that she is his ward for at least for now. And I will say Ellie is definitely written to feel like a like early teen. She talks yeah. a lot. She's kind of snarky. She asks questions. All she wants to do is help fight. She wants a gun. She wants to stab things. She can do it. She can do it. And she's so happy to be on the outside world now because she sees fireflies like the animal for the first time. Um, So Joel uh, and Ellie have one really major relationship developing moment on the way to Bill's, which is Ellie sees you get caught in a trap and you're upside down. And now she has to like disarm the trap while you shoot. Yeah. But you're dependent on her now. Like, yeah, this is the the game flip flops between giving you control and agency and taking it away from you in very Very suddenly. Yeah. Very suddenly and very visually evocative ways. And in this one, you essentially all you can do is shoot. So you have a little bit of control. But the timer is essentially on Ellie trying to get you down. Mm -hmm. And that's like a moment where like, you know, I keep wanting to call him Gerald because I'm playing The Witcher 3 for the podcast. Mm -hmm. But um, Joel uh, has to kind of become a little bit more dependent on another person than even he was with Tess for a little bit. Yes. And a very vulnerable person that he's supposed to protect. And obviously, you know, it doesn't take a genius to see at this point in the game, oh, Ellie is going to become a stand-in for Sarah. Yes. The game definitely becomes a lot about that. So they get to Bill. Yes. And they... Hermit, big barricaded home, traps everywhere, very paranoid. What I think is really interesting about Bill, because a lot of this is just a big quest to get a car, and I think a lot of it's too noteworthy from a story perspective, Right. but I think it does a lot of interesting world building because Bill is living in this abandoned town where he's using the infected as his own set of traps as well. Exactly. No one wants to go there because the infected. So he knows it very well. He can keep other people from like coming and raiding his place because he's using infected as that, you know you make a good point too as it, a as it a kind deterrent of implies that his time is limited because it's it's only a matter of time until some hunters happened into that suburb i also think the interesting purpose bill serves and i would argue that every season or every mini arc within the season shows you something about partnership yeah and the first one is you get a brief look at Joel and Tess and how they work together. And I would argue they had a pretty real bond and she uses that to help inspire Joel to keep going. 
And then you see Bill and you learn that he had a relationship with another man. Is it probably, Frank? I, I, I think yes. His name. I think you're right. It is romantic, but that's not a very prevalent part of the story. And he had a falling out with that man. And that guy and tried to double cross him. Yes. It got very sour. They were paranoid about the other. So I think that one represents kind of how partnerships can go when you don't have a sense of trust. Yes. When that paranoia eats away at you. Famously the least trusting character in the game. Yes, which is saying something. And I think another thing that each arc kind of shows you is what is the motivation to keep going? Yeah. And every character has their own answer to that. So Bill's seemingly, by the time you you part ways with him, you have found the car. Ellie helps you get it started. You push her out into the street. It seems like Bill's motivation at this point is a high score. Like he's trying to live as long as he can. Yes. His motivation is just to keep going. It's like habit. I think I read this somewhere that the main underlying emotion or theme of this game was love. And that's something that the developers said. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And when they're going into The Last of Us 2, which is coming out sometime after this pandemic, um, (laughs) is hate. Is hate, yeah. yeah. And so they're kind of playing on that. And I think that when you look at that, you kind of see love when it's like undefined and unaddressed between uh, Tess and Joel. And here you have love between Frank or Bill and Frank yeah. when you don't trust. Which and, turns into hate. Yeah. Right. Explicitly at the end, Two you find a note. Point. Yeah. So they get a car. They drive to their next uh, plot beat, which Pittsburgh. is that a... They're, they have to exit off the highway, and there is a trap set up where a guy is oh, pretending yeah. to be uh, injured. injured in the street. Joel's like, this is a trap. Plows through this He doesn't guy. even say it's a trap. He just, he's like, oh, he's not Ellie's injured. like, are you going to help him? And he just shifts the gear into like high gear. He says, and just he says the first time it. I played the game, there is nothing that tells you, the player, it's a trap. Yeah. There are no discernible clues. Well, Joel says, this is another piece of ambiguity. So the guy is holding his side, and you might read this as when Joel says he ain't even injured— Joel's expertise is coming into play and his, yeah. his survival instincts kick in. He plows through the guy. You get into a gunfight. You find out that these are hunters who are killing what they call tourists, people who don't live in like their yeah, commune. Who drive through their town. Yeah. And they, they, they like salvage whatever they can from their bodies. You find like essentially like a charnel room where like the bodies are just kind of left there and being chopped up. What'd you call that? Like a charnel oh, okay. room, I guess. I don't know what they do with the bodies. Maybe they burn them. But um, Joel reveals that the reason he knows this was a trap is because Joel has participated in this trap before. He says, I've been on both sides of this trap before. Which I think shows that in the 20 years between the prologue and where you're at in the game now. Joel went through some shit. Well, yeah. Joel was wandering. If we say it's about finding purpose and finding love. he I think he was explicitly a hunter Yeah, is how I read that. Because Ellie does explicitly ask him, like, oh, how did you know that was there? And he's like, I've been on both sides of this. And she says it when they're in the room where you see all the bodies piled up. So he's not shocked by this because he's like, this is the grisly work I used to do. So <laughs> this is called a Monday. Um, they for you is the worst day of your life. Through this, yeah. So it they was Tuesday. They yes, the Bison <laughs> and his daughter. Um, they run through this uh, suburb. They're escaping hunters. They get into fights with them. They meet these two brothers as Henry, they're doing it. Henry and so Sam. So this is where they yeah. get to Pittsburgh, right? Yes. Is it Pittsburgh? Yeah, is, it's Pittsburgh. Yeah. They they have arrived in Pittsburgh in their car, and they meet the brothers. And they have lost the use of their car. They meet the brothers. The brothers tell them. We're trying to get these hunters too. 
we got to get to this radio tower where some other people I know are going to meet up and we're all going to figure out what to do and next. And the brothers thing. are, Henry is the older one yep. who is a young adult, I would say probably early 20s maybe. Yeah. yeah. And right. Sam is Ellie's age. And yeah. you Maybe see, a little younger than Ellie. Possibly, yeah. yeah. You see Ellie and Sam bond so quickly. They are both just desperate for someone else their age to interact with and like have a conversation with. Yeah. And there's a sense of normalcy. This is the longest relationship besides um, Joel and Ellie that this game builds up because it's easy to forget because this part is so early in the game and and but it's so long because you spend time going through like abandoned suburbs, reading all kinds of notes. The most quiet time in this game is in this arc where you and the brothers like bond. You kind of see them as a mirror to yourself. Yes. You like talk about like what was our lives like before this? Like I used to like motorcycles and there and, the, some and the kid played darts. Very blatant parallels too where Sam or Henry says like, he leaves Joel and Ellie to save Sam. Yeah. And he's like, you would totally abandon us to save Ellie. Yeah. And Joel's like, yeah, you're right. So there's this idea that they would both do anything. And the other interesting tidbit that they have here is the... The toy. Yeah, the toy room. Sam really wants to take one of the toys, and Henry's like, no. Like, Henry still has this moral code that he wants to raise Sam knowing. He wants... And you see in the way he talks with Joel about the motorcycles. There's this aspect of the old world that he didn't really get to experience because he's Sam, by early yeah, 20s. Exactly. Oh, Henry. oh, yes, yes. And he is longing for that and trying to recreate that for his little brother. Yeah, he thinks he's still in the mode where he thinks one day the promised land is going to be like the old world and they're going to yes. get there. And he's like, and Sam, if you steal toys, we won't get to that promised land. Yes. We'll be like Moses. Stop like, wandering Sam, the keep, desert. Keep your eye on the goal. Whereas Sam is like, this is just life. Yeah. So I want a toy because this is my life forever now. Yeah. I always viewed it as like his code, which he explicitly says a couple of times is take only what you need. Oh, yeah. Um, and I don't think that really is a way to live <laughs> life in Sam's book. Well, would yes. you say that's Joel's code? Well, Sam, like, he's like, this is no one's property because I don't even, I can't even conceive of a world where you would live here. But to Henry, he's like, no, one day this will be someone's property again, right. maybe. Right? Yeah. And I guess Joel, I, I don't know if he actually feels that way about property. Well, what if, yeah. Don't take what, what you don't What does Ellie need. do? Ellie takes it. But the thing is, throughout the rest of the game, um, after, just a quick flashback, um, you go to Bill's hideout and Ellie steals a comic and oh, a, yeah, nudie, yeah. a nudie magazine. <laughs> yeah, because it's, both, it's both Ellie and, men, and Joel and like, are I don't get it. pretty comfortable with taking things from like like salvaging things, even well, from so, places they know but people. I think that Joel and Ellie in this moment are exhibiting that life is this, and you got to find enjoyment where you can. Exactly. So you you got to take and do whatever it is that makes you happy. Right. You know, you can try and respect other people's opinions, but in the end, it's really all about you. And, and it is in the game code that Ellie steals. Like, it is oh, programmed it, oh, it's to not happening. happen while you look. Yeah. yeah. So she's programmed to do it while you're looking the other way. Because I, you I, can catch it, and you can see in like this a reflection or something. Thing. I think you just have to be get the right angle. But you'll the, also notice the things disappear in the toy shop. I was just That's looking, cool. and Ellie was just standing there, and I was looking at her for like two minutes. I'm looking and looking, looking. I'm like, you're clearly going to pick this up. <laughs> yeah. Like we're robot. not going to stand here. That's looking so interesting. For a while. I didn't even check. So I was surprised when you get a little further in, and they make it to the radio tower, and Ellie pulls the toy robot yeah. out of her backpack, and I, I was legit like bowled over by that. And it's her whole, it's a big toy. Like it fills a lot of her backpack. 
It's like an Optimus Prime. And she's like, yeah, it's like a, yeah. Transformer. And she gives it to Sam. And I think this is the moment where all of these things we're talking about really come to a head. And you see that like Joel and Ellie have accepted this world to some degree. We know that Joel accepted it to quite a degree for (laughs) a while. Their morals are a little more gray. They're not trying to shoehorn themselves back in this old world, pristine. Right. Okay, we have societal rules that bind us. Joel and Ellie are like, we have our own. We don't have rules, really. The rule is survival. Man's got to have a code. And 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 that code is my code. (laughs) (laughs) And besides that, I think it shows you that Ellie really wants this kid to be happy. Like, she wants to make a difference in somebody else's life. So she... I mean, she used up some of her inventory space on this robot so she can give him something. Yeah. She's invested in him now. I think that that's interesting, especially when we come back to the final scene of the game, but how Ellie's whole philosophy on life and her life is. Yeah. Um, So I think- With great power comes great responsibility because she knows that she has this special thing about her. Well, I think a a flash forward is uh, when she- No, not right now. We're not flashing forward. Okay, so, so Ellie does that. We'll she gives the toy to him that's paralleling, right? Okay, Henry and Sam have this, oh, we're old world, we're trying to do this. And Joel and Ellie are like, fuck it, this is life now. And the next morning after this quiet night of bonding, they tell Ellie's like, Sam's not up yet. That's super weird. And Henry's like, well, why don't you go get him up, yeah. pal? And Henry's happy that he's not up. Yeah, Henry, to, and he has reached this temporary state of normalcy where he's like, I want Sam to sleep oversleep. Yes. And to be a little sloppy now. So Ellie goes in and of course Sam was bitten and has already turned since like yeah. the kerfuffle in Pittsburgh. But Joel can't get to his gun in time. And so Henry Henry actually shoots in Joel's direction to stop him from yes. shooting the Joel kid. wants because Sam attacks Ellie and Joel goes to kill Sam, probably. And Henry stops Joel, saying he's my responsibility. And he shoots Sam. Mm-hmm. And right immediately after, we find out what was, you know, Henry's main source of inspiration to live. It was to take care of Sam. Now that that's gone, he's like, I got nothing else. And yeah. he commits suicide with he the does. gun. And, and I think it's powerful that Ellie sees both of this. Yeah. She's very close to seeing Sam get shot by Henry and then turns to see Henry turn the gun on himself. And, and Ellie has known these two longer than she had Tess. So this is yeah. like the game showing you a long-term for the game investment for Ellie yes. that now ends up nowhere. And I think it's important too, because we, we spend a lot of time talking about the different moral code. And I think in some ways the game is showing you that Henry and Sam could not survive. They yeah. could not bring that old world sensibility with them into the new world successfully. And Joel and Ellie have the moral code of survive and they get through it. Yeah. And, and another thing that was interesting in that, in this little vignette um, was that when Ellie pulls out the toy, he gives it, she gives it to Sam and Sam's like, do you believe in like heaven or whatever? Because he knows he's already, he's he's already been bit and he's, he knows. Oh yeah. He's thinking about like, what is this going to amount to now? Yeah. And Ellie's like, oh yeah. Yeah. I think that people think that's a thing. And he's like, and Sam's like, well, what do you think? She's like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't believe it. Ooh. And she I has know. no idea. She has no I idea know. what this, the significance she, of this conversation. Maybe sees herself as kind of 
a slightly older sister too. She's trying to get yeah. into this family situation and give him good advice and direct advice. And also it's important that she says she doesn't believe in heaven because I think that what that means is El- it's setting up Ellie to be like, if any of this is going to mean something, I'm really under pressure to make it mean something while I'm On alive. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's, something that a lot of people in a zombie apocalypse might end up feeling because, you know, if people that are dying or essentially not being with us, like in the same mental capacity anymore, are zombies. Oh yeah. Cause zombies are a symbol of death being like very, it's ever present. It's there. Yeah. Stolen from you, but also very like not cool, not sexy. It's you don't become an angel. You become a mud person. Yeah. (laughs) You become an ugly, like deformed thing. Yeah. And uh, I think that much zombie media uh, uses zombies as a clock. So they say, you know, zombies will kill you one day, but not today. It's going to be a while, but it will happen. So zombies become a metaphor for very slowly encroaching death, which is why slow zombies is very, are very effective to me. Yeah. So, so smash cut to fall. fall. As soon as he shoots the gun. Every, yeah. Every season ends with just like. Drama cut. And I, I just uh, want to yeah. say the writing in this is phenomenal. It, it's just so good. Oh, um, fall? Yeah. yeah. And, and the, well, at the very end, right before the cut, right before Henry yes. shoots himself, oh. he's oh, yeah. he's saying things like, Henry, like, and like, what have you done? What have you done? And Joel is taking this as like, no, I haven't done anything. It's not my fault. Yeah. And then at the end, he ends up shooting oh, himself. Yeah. Henry but is definitely if, talking to himself. And talking. Joel doesn't understand that. Yeah. Which is normal for anyone. Because Henry's like, I fucked up. This is my one job. But I also I think that it wrong. shows that Joel's first priority is protecting himself. Staying alive. And yeah. it doesn't even cross his mind that he needs to help Henry with some internal struggle. Yeah. Well, he, he does say this is nobody's fault, but I do think that's him trying to backpedal and, and, and be to, like, it's no, it's Joel's not my fault. Credit. He, I think in his mind is saying like, we deal with this right now. Then you figure that out. Yeah. And and we we kind of glossed over this, but um, after they lose Tess, Joel and Ellie have a conversation where Ellie's like, "Are we going to talk about this? You lost a major <laughs> person in your life." And Joel's like, "No. The rule is we never talk about it. You never bring up Tess." And I think it, I think it gave me the impression that like this is how Joel deals with everything. Yes. You don't talk about it. You put it away. You bottle it you up. You focus Which on the next moment. Says a lot too then about how quickly we cut away from the the suicide of Henry and the yes. death of Sam because you don't get to sit in it and have any sort of closure or like pin in it. It's just like, here's the violence. Okay, we're going to pretend that didn't happen now. Yeah. And I think you don't that, get to see whatever happened in between. But I think that's really showing Joel's reason why he's alive is because you don't stop. You don't think you, you survive. You can worry about all that when you have the time to worry about it. Yeah. But when you're out there, don't think, so just we, survive. When we cut to fall and you're approaching Tommy's home, the dam. Mm-hmm. In Wyoming. In so Wyoming. A, a long traveled. trip. I... I read that as none of this was discussed during that long trip. I agree. And so you finally make it to this dam. You meet up with Tommy. They have a very well-fortified position with huge walls. In a hydroelectric Ignore the random-ass encounter they throw in where people magically make it through the walls to give you a gunfight. Fuck that. But it's a well-maintained community, very optimistic view of what you could accomplish in the zombie apocalypse. And Tommy is married. Yeah. He's married. Which... I don't remember enough if they explicitly state it, but I think it's obvious that he met her after society fell apart. Yeah, he did. He's not, I think he okay. met her after he and Joel split up even. Yeah, it's okay. true. I think Joel is the poison in his life. But So <laughs> we learn, so 
like very like glossing over a lot of this. The the basic idea is they have made it to some kind of promised land as far as they can exist. They have electricity. Yeah. They are like restarting society. And they families. have like yeah, so they have specialized work not only positions. Are there, like, Tom, and Tommy's talking about how tonight's a movie night and yeah. he's really excited for the kids to watch. Yeah, they have media, which yes. um like like hint about the current state of the world. There is electricity in the world. Um the comic book and like Left Behind show you that like a lot of things can still be had, but the communes and the government are selectively cutting power to people right. to prevent them from like accessing these like media, essentially. We can't have them reading about dystopian futures <laughs> and how people will stop but that. But I think it's probably also they want to control where people can yes. settle. And and I'm sure control. it's limited to some degree. Mm-hmm. So they're like, we have to ration out electricity and we decide who right. gets it. Right. Whereas so, in this utopia, presumably everyone gets yeah. it. And it's not only that, it's there are family units here, which yeah. we've been introduced to Tess and Joel, who are kind of in a relationship, but it's unclear. Um, what is it? Bill and Frank, who had obviously a relationship that took an unhealthy turn. And now we have Tommy. Henry and Sam. And like that was a progression for Joel and Ellie, where they're like, oh, it's healthy brothers, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Also, we didn't touch on the whole ish subplot that happens then by reading things, but there's a whole nother example of a family unit that falls apart there. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, there's a lot of like little environmental. Yes. That one was really popular when the game first came out. Everyone's like, we need the DLC to be about this. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that based off of uh, an actual book or a short story called earth abides? I don't know. Yes. <laughs> I, I will, I will be honest like with you. Up with I read, top of it has no, I was just, well, I was doing research I, for this. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I'll say I can't really comment much on the, a lot of the notes because I read like half of them. I loved the ish one. Anyway. So there's, there's this exposure to family units as this thing that just slips through the fingers. Yeah. And then you come up to Tommy, who is literally Joel's family. Yeah. And family units are successful here. And Joel's, and like, Tommy this is my finish sees line. Joel at first as a threat to this. Yeah. His first reaction to Joel returning is concerned, then angry. He's, he's, we don't know what Tommy is mad at Joel about. I think if I had to guess, it's something to do with Joel becoming a hunter. Mm-hmm. My guess is that's where their paths split. Well, we know Tommy was involved with the Fireflies, so at some yeah. point he was altruistic too. Uh, and I mean, like, I, arguably, I guess the Fireflies are still well, I think, a militia I th- terrorist. We don't know no, yet. I do yeah. think the Fireflies are supposed to be somewhat altruistic. I think that they're supposed to their their imagery is of a light in the darkness. Like, I, I yes. feel like they're trying to be that beacon for people and society for hope. And they they are an altruistic. A group that we are viewing through a gritty filter, which shows you like, what would that actually look like? Which is going to involve a lot of things that are classified as terrorism in this world, right? Yes, that's true. So Tommy is like, I'm going to make the world better. And Joel is like, I'm going to try to survive. And that's, I think it's showing you their paths split. And I think Joel's work was so disagreeable to Tommy. I think the implication is that it's on purely ideological grounds that he's now angry at Joel. Yeah. It's possible that Joel gets over that anger him, pretty quickly, too. Yes. Maybe he thinks Joel has changed. Look, he has a kid. Old Joel wouldn't yes. have a kid. And Tommy's wife, Maria. But even not, older like, Joel. fan of Joel either. Yeah. And it's, well, Tommy's probably told her about Joel. Well, and it's revealed that Maria knows shit about Joel's past. Right. And, and, and is and telling I you, Ellie. I know you said old Joel wouldn't have a kid, but older Joel <laughs> would. 
That's true. Oldest Joe. Yeah. Or Joel. Wait, are we talking about age or like how long ago? How, how long, long ago? Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. The oldest, oldest Joel yes. did. Yes. All right, that, that, that joke <laughs> kind of flopped. So I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> so the big scene here is the conflict where Ellie is upset that Joel is going to abandon her and hand her over to Tommy. Yeah. And she runs away and finds... Because like, Joel thinks he's done it now. Yes. He thinks he's made it. So this is a turning point because Ellie confronts him on that and is like, I'm, you know, I'm not Sarah, but we do have a bond. Like, it's okay. It's safe. I can take care of myself too. Like, and there's the pivot where Joel says, you know what? Don't worry about it, Tommy. Let me know where the next Firefly base is. Yeah. And I'll take I will him there. take her. Yeah. yeah. It takes, it takes a little bit, like... There is a game metaphor for this where Ellie runs away from you and you have to track her down and get her. Mm -hmm. But it uses that to essentially express that both of them are very conflicted about this abandonment, but they get over it. I think it's also important because what's happening here is Ellie is forcing Joel to talk about it, which is something that he's never done in the past. Because with Tess... Her last line essentially is like, there's something, there's yeah. enough here. Tess isn't even obligation. willing to make him talk about it like, on Joel, like, you're right. It's weird that Joel barely says goodbye to Ellie before he makes the handoff. He doesn't like talk, talk through how he feels about it. So understandably, Ellie's like, have I been misled this whole time? Like, does Joel not really care about me? Shouldn't he be feeling a little bit more about this handoff than he's showing me? But I think that all of these things that Ellie are bringing up, Um, is bringing up is important because it forces Joel to talk about it and it kind of brings him back to humanity. It it gives him like that semblance of humanity to bond and care about other people again. Because arguably up until this point, you could plausibly say that Joel is just looking for a safe place. So by leaving this dam, which is, I would say for sure, this is the promised land of The Last of Us. Yes. Joel is making the the affirmative decision that he's going to invest in another thing outside of himself, which is Ellie. Not even the fireflies, I would say, but Ellie. Yeah, and I think that he realizes that he can't ask somebody else to take the ring all the way to Mount Doom. Yeah, that's true. That's another good point. Like, you're right. He's invested in Ellie, but he also feels personal responsibility for Ellie because having Tommy take her to the college would still be a good option in his eyes, right? Yeah. I I think that Ellie's talk really awakened something in him because before that, he's willing to pass her off nothing. But after talking, he's starting to face these emotions again. And then he's like, if I'm having emotions again and feelings, I can't do that to my brother. Well, and I I, I think that the irony here is that Joel hasn't really brought up Sarah. He hasn't acknowledged his daughter this is the point where Ellie confronts him about it and is like, I'm not going to be Sarah. Like I'm different. But I think that at this point, Joel starts to see Ellie as Sarah. Like, I think this is Ellie saying, I am not Sarah opens the Sarah box in the back of Joel's dark closet. And Joel's like, it is entirely plausible that all of this like real life metaphor from his perspective is lost on him. He does not, (laughs) he has not made that, like he's felt the feelings, but he hasn't like consciously connected those things. I think I, that's how I interpreted it just because the game makes such a point of him not addressing anything. Yeah. That he's just blindly doing his thing. And is it because does the does Tommy's wife give her the picture? Yes. Okay. Yeah, Tommy's Tommy's wife is just like spreading everybody's business. Yes. Can you imagine like fifteen years from now, Chris, if we have a kid and we come over and you're like, huh, come here, Sterling and Lindsay's kid, I'm going to tell you some shit about your parents. Like, yeah. 
And you knew us. This is just some yeah. woman who doesn't even know. He feels betrayed a little bit. I can't Im- like an adult woman who doesn't know another person, like adult, telling their pseudo child all of their dirt. Well, in this case, I don't like Maria. I get it decided. because she knows that Joel's a crazy person. Like she, okay, that's she. True. She is direly concerned for Ellie's safety. That's I think, true. yeah. If you're like, hey, this kid is the hope for humanity, and the, Joel yeah. is certifiably insane based off of yes. what Tommy Ma- says. Maria's yes. thinking. Maria's thinking here is we got to save this kid, and we have to get rid of Joel, and we have yes. to make the kid okay with that, and we have to do this. In a very short period of okay, time. You know what? I'm back on board with Marina. <laughs> I've come I've come full circle on her. Um so you don't get whiplash. <laughs> they they go on. Oh, and you know, this is also worth bringing up because we're gonna talk about this eventually anyway. But up until this point, even though Joel isn't seeing it, he has forged a father-daughter relationship with Ellie to some degree. Like they have talked about like what was the old world like? Like, did yes. Joel go get coffee? What who are these like skinny women on these posters? Like, which I thought was a little bit weird, but Ellie has not seen like uh, an emaciated looking woman or like even like an exaggerated looking woman, apparently, which we know is not true by the way. I think the difference might be that the way the women look on the magazines are thin, but still not thin in certain areas. Yeah. And that might be the difference. Cause if you're actually starving, you're not going to have like, Exactly. But she ample, sees oh, ample bosom so and you're, you're saying she sees like the thin waist and yet somehow Rubenesque women of yes. comic books, but she sees an actual supermodel trying to do that and being really skinny. Yes. And that's I why would she's say like, that the women this? in Ellie's world are probably either emaciated. Yeah, a little emaciated or like just muscle. Yeah. They look I mean they look like real people. Although survive. people who have access to cheap effective nutrients like in our world that often leads to being like more heavy set because mm-hmm. it's not doing the work it needs to do yeah and it muscle muscle will make you look wider yeah sometimes yeah. yeah so i don't know i like in the logic of the universe that line didn't really pay off but i appreciated the spirit of it the spirit of it <laughs> yeah the spirit of it is that they are working through common things that you would work through with a teen daughter and up until this point besides that like as we alluded to earlier, the mechanics of traversal and you have to swim yes. and get pallets because Ellie can't swim and you're providing for her. Every time you get a ladder to help Ellie get up, you are kind of performing this virtualized function of a, of a, yes. ch- a parent and child where you are helping them get places that their physically small bodies cannot get to. Right. And that, you know, in a traumatic scenario like that, like where everything is a crisis one after the other kind of like how we talked about in the romance episode where yeah. being on the bridge makes you feel closer to someone. This is doing that with a parent and child relationship. Yes. So Tommy tells Joel that the Fireflies are based in the University of Colorado. And they get there. They take a horse there. Yeah. I, I like the horses. I, I think it's implied there's quite a long trip there and it's pretty easy going. Yes. I don't think there's any infected on the way to Colorado. Yes. And they get there and they learn that the fireflies have abandoned this place also and that now the research is happening in Utah. And I think this is pretty important, too, to show you that the fireflies have consistently gotten access to, like, colleges and shit on their way to Utah because it's kind of building up that, like, if anyone can make a difference at this point, it pretty much has to be them. Yes. Because they are getting all of the forgotten knowledge of society and they're and taking resources. it with them. They're like consolidating yeah. it. 
So this place is abandoned. Soon you're attacked by hunters. Uh, Joel um, falls onto, like in a battle, he, he falls, falls onto on, on, like, like a, a story. Yeah. He falls yes. like in a balcony overlooking like the plaza type center of yeah. the building. Impales himself on a r- steel rod. And then it you have a very visceral. It is. The game yes. tries to be pretty like in your face with violence sometimes. This was the most. In this your is like face. a Tomb Raider death. Yes. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I think it Tomb literally Raider. is. <laughs> and uh, it happens like he definitely near his stomach no. area. Yes. Uh, well, he, yeah, he needs an antibiotic. Like, I mean, uh, his like right side so it would have either been through his liver or his uh, appendix i can tell you and, i don't want a rusty spike through that part well yeah i mean i believe it's the liver i know this is like what everybody's asking like what organ got pierced by <laughs> uh, in that in that scene but if it were the liver the liver does regenerate so i think he probably got okay. extremely that lucky right. yeah in that situation. so there is an amazing sequence where ellie takes care of you and she shoots she like goes Joel yes. on a whole She's group like of dragging hunters. your body, trying to get you to safety. Shoots. Is this the first time she shoots she, a gun? No, she actually, no, no. there is a cool sequence where you are about to, you know you have to carve a path through hunters in a big open like street. And it, there's a reverse Resident Evil 4. Like instead of you shooting things as your, your oh, like, that's right. person walks through, she shoots the enemies while you walk through. There's a moment actually before that where you get kicked off a ladder into a Oh, yeah, and she shoots and somebody. You're about right. to yeah. drown. She takes and she so you've seen her shoot people. You are, you are now there's definitely been a progress her. of how much she has done for you throughout the Right. Game. Starting you, you with have been shooting working, the guy in the neck back in Boston. Yes. So she, you've been working in tandem up to this point. But now in this moment, she is totally in control of the situation. You are again wrenched of all control and you are just watching Ellie just blast her way through hunters left mm-hmm. and right. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly she has learned from the best. Um, she <laughs> is a, she's learned. a video game protagonist. She did not learn how to swim, but she did learn how to <laughs> yes. kick ass. Uh, and we cut to winter as she, it turns out she has now been taking care of Joel. She has him stored away while she tries to find Supplies to take care of the long term so situation, like I think in some sort of like development. The gun a little bit because I think that oh, there's an ambiguity. Yes, as it cuts to winter, the game opens. I think really importantly with a white rabbit on white snow, and an arrow pierces it, and you see just red blood. Yeah, and it pans back, and you see Ellie is on firing. Ellie yes, on the horse in the in the wilderness. She's, I think she's just walking. Oh, she's just walking. But that's okay. It's it's. So I think it opens with this idea of the death of innocence. Keep in mind rabbit because that comes back in this season. Yeah. But Ellie is alone and you're playing as her with she, none she, of yeah. the resources that you associate with Joel. She's got a bow and arrow. So when I first played the game, because I played it when yeah, it came out. I thought he was dead. I was like, I guess I'm Ellie now. now. I'm Ellie. I really thought I didn't know much about the game. I really yeah. thought he was dead, and now I am taking over as Ellie. Which is not a thing a game has done. It's ne- it's very. I don't. I can't off the top of my head think of a. Oh, I've seen this so many times. Oh no, no, a huh. convincing implementation of this. Like, oh yeah, I've seen that. This person's dead. Gotcha. Yeah. Like it's very rare for that to. I'm waiting for the end of the books of Game of Thrones because I still think that <laughs> is coming back. I think and this this is actually, uh, I wouldn't call it a trope, but it's a thing that games have done and it's like different across many but genres. But how successful, like. Oh yeah, like big games have done this. No, no, no. How successfully has that been Resonated done? with you. Yeah, like, yeah, I've seen this happen. Where you believed it? Yeah. What do you like mean? Like where? Like believed it like. 
believe that. Like I started playing as Ellie, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm Ellie now." Ellie now, yeah. Joel is dead, and then but Joel wasn't dead. This is oh, you're saying like it didn't actually pass the torch. It just made you think it was passing the torch. The fake torch passed. I but I bought it. I reached for it. I had the opposite situation where I thought the game was fake passing me the torch. Um, in Metal Gear Solid 2 when you play as Raiden. Oh, but it really Because is. the whole, like, they did an intentionally misleading advertising campaign where they ma- they put Snake in all these places where you're now playing through as Raiden what? in the commercials because the game is about censorship That's really and shit. Cool. Yeah. So I thought all the way to the end of the game, any minute now I'm going to be Solid Snake again. Nope. Okay, that's Never passed awesome. the door. So the opposite of that has happened, but not yes. this. Where you're saying, like, trick you into passing the torch. Yes. Yeah. Because I think that you... Need to believe it to mourn the loss of Joel. Oh, there is a really good example. The reveal. Yes, yes. There's a really good example, but I can't tell you. Okay. It's one of the games you'll play. Uh-oh. It's a Final Fantasy. I won't say which one. <laughs> Shouldn't have narrowed it down that far, but I won't say which one. Um, You'll see, you'll know it. So anyway, we think the torch, torch has been passed, and Ellie has killed Animal Ellie. Because we've talked about how, I don't know if we have said this on the podcast, but like, Rabbits are a common, like, uh, symbol for innocence. Yeah. And like, fertility. In Zelda, yes. Okay. <laughs> in Zelda, when Link goes to the dark world and he cannot keep his true form. He, he stays turns, as a rabbit, yeah. He becomes a rabbit Aww. to show what's in his heart, right? In this game, a rabbit is uh, Ellie taking the life of another seemingly yeah. innocent animal. And it's the... the Though farmer, the farmer would disagree, but... The color contrast is a, is a uh, symbolic thing as well. The yeah. red busting into the white... That, that damaging of the pure. And I think that not only does that show you what's happened so far in the game with Ellie, I think that's a really big reflection of what winter is about for Ellie yes. too. Because winter like we said, pure we learn, well, that and like a different kind of death of innocence, I think. Mm-hmm. It's, we, it's revealed that Joel is alive and Ellie is trying to help him survive. So she has taken on that role. Yes. So and she's then, like, in, in the same sense that Joel's like, I will fight through all these hunters to keep Ellie safe. Or like, Henry's like, I will kill all these zombies or whoever to keep Sam safe. Now Ellie has taken that role. Yes. And she runs into some men there while she's looting for things. And then zombies have, or the infection yeah. happens. Notably, the men want her food. Yes. They're like, we'll trade you drugs for food. She's reluctant. But then she has a bonding moment. I love that the game does this so often is it'll switch. Like there's a moment where you're with Sam and Joel and Sam become partners for a little bit to like get you attached to him. So the game does this where someone becomes your Joel figure kind of David. David. Yeah. I had to look at his name. And he's, I think Nolan North. Yep. Nolan North plays him. And uh, you and him have to work your way through like a zombie attack. It's required for both Troy Baker and Nolan North to do voices in a game for it to be good. Then they're in every game. The Uncharted Four rules. I wouldn't know, but it's okay. they're like in every. They're everywhere. Yuri Lowenthal, another one. I just see every, everywhere. everywhere. The the American voice acting industry is getting bigger, yeah. but rather small. I will say to, though, Troy Baker is very very good. Noel North also oh, yeah. good. They are good, not, but Troy not Baker to diminish these actors. Troy they're, Baker, I often don't even realize it's him. Like he he. Does voices very yes. well. He's a, he he's, creates... a, he's a Hank Azaria type, but yes. maybe a little less comedic. <laughs> he's got a lot of range. I think I like say. maybe Billy West. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So is David. Fry? Yeah, Fry and pretty much every other character on Futurama. <laughs> David is forced to fight with Ellie and they bond. So she's like, sure, I trust you enough. I'll take the medicine. And she goes back to Joel and Joel's alive. And you're like, yeah, great. And 
then it's revealed that David has had yeah. his men follow Ellie. Now, there is an interesting, like, minorly antagonistic moment here, like a, an unreasonable one, where David is about to give her the medicine, and he says, hey, did you know there's a crazy dude walking around just murdering people left and right? He tells her that later. No, he no, says that there. He says there? it before he gives oh her the drugs. God. Yeah, he says and, there's a crazy guy and a girl. And Ellie grabs her gun, and she's going to shoot him. He's like... No, I'm giving you the drugs. I'm just saying, like, oh. he's essentially warning her. He's like, just so you know, this person you're with, this is what he's like to us. Yeah. This dude is fucking Baba Yaga to us. <laughs> he's like, so, you should know that. He's the vampire of their legends. So when I heard that, I was like, yeah, of course Ellie is angry to right. hear this, but I'm with this guy. There's some oh. bear man running around killing people left and right, <laughs> even while he's dying. <laughs> And so, like, you know, I, I get that. Like, I think he's, in that moment, I read it as David trying to reach out to Ellie to tell her, like, you need to know that you're with, like, a living legend, and it's a scary one. Yeah. And you should uh, come and be with me in my place. And I, I mean, he's, he's he's not flawless I, I think, himself. I think that um, I, I didn't read any creepiness from him yet at this oh moment. I, I read, like, paternalistic warnings I, to her. I did get that feeling. At that but moment. I think that it was a ruse. Oh, well, yes. That's what we will find out right now. Uh, David has sent, David and his people come after Ellie because they have tracked her through the snow back to where she's I hiding Joel. I do get Joel. heavy cult vibes from David. I don't know when those vibes became prevalent. Because he's, is- he's very calm. Yeah. I think that's something I associate what? with the what cult leader. Cult. Oh, cult. I heard he, cult. And I'm like, uh, He's what? very in control what? of like the a situation. Horse? Oh, like he's very charismatic. It's like he's always calm. People want to listen to him. Yes. He, he has like a father figure vibe to other people, like other adults. Well, the other warning sign was that a lot of the people around him are younger than him. Like, oh, really? I don't remember seeing another older male figure in a position of oh, power. Oh, I didn't. Well, there, we only see one other guy at that moment. At that That's moment. true. Yes. So I didn't, I didn't know. Yes. But either way, he has now followed her back to Joel and has become an antagonist because now Ellie has to systematically, this is a very Resident Evil remake mo- or a Tomb Raider remake moment where Ellie plays a cat and mouse game with all these yeah. heavily armed guys and she hunts them down with her bow and arrow. And tries to get away. She's trying yeah. to lure them away from Joel. But she gets captured. Mm-hmm. Um, David captures her himself. Fi- turns out he and his people are cannibals because they not any real food. And also, David might be a pedophile, as far as we can tell. Yeah, yeah. I think that that really hits the fan later. Mm-hmm. I mean, not long after that, but yes. Because we see two stories happen in parallel. Ellie's like slowly realizing what terrible shit she's gotten into here with David and his like cult. And then we have Joel waking up and being like, I'm going to Arnold Schwarzenegger my way to Ellie. <laughs> and you and do, you play, you alternate playing as each of them. Yes. So now yeah. you're seeing that codependency. I just had yeah. a question though for you guys. Do you think the cannibalism is symbolic of anything at yes. this moment? Like you mean like for people like eating each people other, eating to, each like, other survive? For, to survive? Yeah. I mean, so, I thought the hunters were cannibals for a little bit until they tell you, they show you the, like the list and like what they're getting from the people. Mm-hmm. So I think what's been happening is that there has been a cannibal metaphor present through the game, but only now has it become literal. So I read into it a little extra. I, I don't know what this says about how I interpreted the scene, but until you guys replayed it, I forgot he was a cannibal. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I remembered was because as the scene builds, he does seem to start sexually approaching Ellie. Yeah. Like he's going to to force himself. And the thing that I remembered, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the part where there's a rape scene like or an attempted rape scene. Yeah. So I think that the cannibalism 
is a through line for taking someone else's flesh. Yeah. Like the, and I think that's why this is such a death of innocence for Ellie is because she doesn't just have to worry about infected. In fact, she doesn't have to worry about becoming infected. She has to worry about the threat that other humans have. Yeah. This is the first major human betrayal that Ellie has experienced yes. because none of the hunters have had a relationship with her. And, and, and Joel has been so good at being like, I know what hunters do. Look at this. This is a, yes. this is a trap. Don't. So she hasn't her. had her expectations subverted yet. And I think that the threat for Ellie goes beyond just you could get killed because she's a young, like a teenage yeah. girl the threats that she would face in this society could go beyond that. And I think that this isn't the right game to have like a very overt sexual assault of a teenage girl. Right. I, I'd like to think no game is the right game. That's a real heavy thing to put in there. I think that the building of cannibalism can connect with like a lot of, you know, when we think so, famous so serial like killers or sexual like, predators who get those things tied, like the idea the cannibalism of, itself would have been enough to drive that home. Is that what you're saying? I think that the cannibalism works hand in hand with that to kind of show you the very dark, scary threats. So this is like, from Ellie's perspective, not only have I been betrayed, I have been betrayed by the scariest human being that I can imagine. Yeah, and I think it's. I think this is a more palatable way to convey that level of danger to the players than oh, just Oh, you're having... saying without making the pedophile element more explicit. Yes. 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 And I also think that the vibe of him being a cult leader leans into that too because yeah. a lot of... I mean, he does like say things like, no such thing as luck. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Yes. Which, I mean, you know... Because he's probably made his own luck. I think he has... Like, like manipulated maybe things. Manipulated his own religion around him. Yeah. But... I don't and know. I think that's Wait, who very... knows? Maybe he even, uh, well, maybe that's going too far. I mean, maybe some of the danger you find yourselves in with David is his own doing. I though, to be fair, there does seem to be a mutiny coming for him based off of what yes. the other guy says. It's, it sounds like the other people, at first, they're like, why are we taking this girl in at all? They don't. Right. Li- they know that he has a history with girls. They say, like, it's just another one of David's pets. Yes. And so they're, they're getting fed up. And actually, right. while you're hiding from everyone as uh, Joel... Um, you hear them saying, like, I've had enough of this shit. Like, I'm done yes. with this. I think the other thing to to note to kind of wrap up Winter is that when David is chasing Ellie, he calls her little rabbit. Yeah. So oh, God, yeah. Winter opens on a rabbit being shot by an arrow, and Ellie has killed her own innocence. And I think David, assuming he's a pedophile, is attracted to this idea of a young, innocent girl and calls her little rabbit to symbolize that. And Ellie's like, Fuck you, man. And she gets into a very visceral, violent fight with David, which is equal parts gunplay and melee, like using bladed weapons. She's like smashing his face in. When Joel gets to her. And as Joel, I kept thinking as Joel, I was going to make it in time because I'm used to video games doing that. And so it's funny because I don't know what this says about me or if the game manipulated me into doing this, but I was like, I'm going to start using grenades. This is the first (laughs) time I used... Grenades, because I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to lean into this because Joel wouldn't be stealthy. He would run in a straight line and shoot everybody. And so I was using all of, like, the artillery shit, like, all the limited-use items to, like, blaze a path through. And um, it kind of felt like this is one of those moments where I really did feel like in lockstep with Joel. And I will say this is also one of the first moments where I really got angry with the writing in the game Oh, because I didn't know what the game, I didn't know what side the game was taking. This is the first moment where the game, which what were the shows sides? you 
Um, so David's side or Ellie's side, right? I so think when the you game first is meet, taking, not the pedophile's side. So when the game first talks to you, right? It's yeah. showing David saying, "This guy is a madman. Like, why mm-hmm. are you with him?" Okay. And so I'm like, that's reasonable. Then um, you fight a bunch of his people when maybe they were coming to like rescue her or something like that. And I'm like, this could have been a complex moment where Ellie has to fight people who are very logically opposed to Joel. And then they're like, nope, he's a pedophile and a cannibal and the worst See, person. But I like, I think that you get a lot of nuance and, and uh, well, yeah. gray from spring. And I think this exists to show like he has to be the worst kind of person. And, I agree. And I think it happens in beginning. winter because it's going to be the coldest, darkest part. So, yes. Right. Now, to clarify, at the end of winter, I was like, I get it. Like, this plays, the work that it does do is very good. What you were feeling while it was in happening. The, in the moment, I was like, they keep setting up Joel as being a bad guy, and I want them to lean into it, and they're, they keep making excuses for him, and I'm so pissed off because this is what <laughs> video games always fucking do. And they never, like, take accountability for, like, the psychopathic shit they make you do just, in the text. I think it's pretty cool, though, like, when you're playing as Joel again, and like, I'm tired of this shit. Like, yes, I don't and then do I was doing but, that shit but, like, intentionally. But the thing is, like, from not David, but the rest of the cult's yeah. perspective— it's like somebody like it's the like a Belmont. Terminator it's like a Belmont here. came out, yeah. and they're like, um, <laughs> they're running from well, you. No, no, actually, no. at but that point, it's like they're like, hey, uh, my name's Simon Belmont. Dracula's castle's right over there. Why don't you go take him out for me? And he's like, no, no, no. Why don't we just leave him alone? Let's not do anything. Like you are this monster. You like you, Joel, are a monster are that you everybody. The Dracula? Yeah, yeah, you're the oh. oh. Because you just said this he is a was very Simon confusing. Belmont. No, I'm metaphor. saying like David is the Simon Belmont. Oh, he's like, hey. he's like I'm warning you because I have this knowledge that I you see. don't have. Yeah, I, I know. And he's like saying like, hey, go hunt the monster out there. But then Joel is kind of like Will Smith and I am Legend, who's like, I have you the cure. Boy, this is a complex much. web, yes. madam. This is a Brita <laughs> metaphor at this point. All right. Well, I'm just whoa, <laughs> whoa. I think it was good. Let's calm that down for a second. But anyways, I think it's just. Um, you can, I know what you're saying though. I, just I feel, felt like the Terminator. Like so, I felt like a monster in a good way. Like I, I felt like viscerally like attached. I think that then kind of on that note, spring or not spring, winter ends with you committing a lot of violence, anticipating being able to commit more violence to yeah. save Ellie. But no, Ellie got it. You're too late. And instead of being able to solve this problem by shooting the man to yeah. protect Ellie, now you have to say, oh, Ellie has been exposed to this. Yeah. And you have to it's such a hold her while she cries. Good twist. Like it's you like think she's been infected with humanity. As a <laughs> as a player, I think I thought the stakes are do I get to Ellie to save her from Robert? But what the stakes are actually revealed to from be David? from sorry, from David. Okay. The stakes are actually revealed to be can I get to Ellie before she is forced to do something that will scar her forever? Yeah. And you don't. And you know she the way she kills David is very different than shooting a gun or like one stab. Yeah, I think like Heath Ledger's Joker talks about how using a knife heals versus a gun. Oh yeah, oh that's very common. I know, but I was just my reference for frame of reference. My reference is every serial killer I've ever read up on. Ellie has had a Joel esque moment where she's like, "I have asked myself, what am I willing to do to survive, Mm -hmm. and and I'm willing to do this." Right. And she kind of looked like stared into the darkness of society, the darkest pit. Yeah. I mean, you know, we always say that the darkest things a person can do to someone else isn't killing them. Yeah. It's the horrible, horrible things they can do to someone while they're still alive, which maybe runs 
parallel to the original interpretation of a zombie, which is the darkest thing isn't death. Yeah. It's the things that someone else could make it's happen to no, your body. No escape from from uh slavery. Or some yes, yeah. someone else using your body. And I yeah. think Ellie faces that was her face. Yes. Her yeah. body being used either for meat or being used for this man's pleasure. And I yeah. think those are both arguably very dark things worse than simply being dead and moving on. So we the the like we talked about how there's a smash cut every every time, well just a cut. Every time I like um, smash, cut. <laughs> smash a hard cut. Every time some major thing happens to end a season. Yes. Here it is her sobbing about what she's just been through as Joel comforts her. And then we cut to a very different uh, uh, setting. We have beautiful spring as you and Ellie are walking down an overpass. Utah. Yeah, you're about to get to the the final the actual base of the fireflies. Yeah. This time you're pretty sure they're going to be there. And everything's beautiful. Yes. Like you get soundscapes, you see this is industrial reclaimed at its peak, which is one of my favorite. Industrial reclamation. Yes. Yeah, that's a good it's a I good love look. that. That's my goal yeah. for my interior design too. I it's just a, want it's a thing green shit growing been, on metal stuff. It's been kind of embraced, I would say, in the last decade, like Days Gone, yeah. The Last of Us, and uh, I Am Alive or whatever it was. I don't know what that one is. It was like a minor, it. like, po- it's a Last of Us-esque okay. world. Yeah. yeah. So you definitely see Tokyo that. Jungle. I think that links into the idea of hope. Mm-hmm. You know, this is it. Oh, Joel has that really important moment with Ellie where they're there and he's like, Ellie, you don't have to do this. We can turn around, which I think shows that Joel's goal has turned from being just about, okay, I'm getting this mission done because Tess wanted me to get the mission done. And now his goal is to protect Ellie. And the other thing is, I feel like him telling her that is Joel, for the first time in the game, trying to address something that's being left unsaid. Because Ellie is very visually despondent throughout the beginning of the spring chapter. She gets like, she has like, I don't want to call it like mood swings, but, but like, She'll suddenly get very melancholy. Yeah. And Joel, first time, as far as I can think of in the game, he's like, what's wrong? Like, let's talk about it. Let's work he through it. He also is talking about his past a little a little yeah. more. He's willing yeah. to open up to Ellie. He's and it's on a, the precipice of, like, being able to look beneath the surface of his own feelings. And it's a sharp contrast for Ellie, too, who we're introduced to in summer as she won't shut up and she's so hyper and excited. Yeah. And now it seems like it's hard to get her to talk. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So we have uh, one final father-daughter moment uh, that we, we, you know, we've been seeing this build up throughout your journey, but there's a big one, a big payoff to this Mm -hmm. as Ellie's telling you like, look out the window, look out the window. And you're chasing her like, you don't see anything out the window. You're like loading up your gun. (laughs) Yeah, dude. I want to say I was, I played this game so, I don't want to say like tactically, like I played it so paranoidly that I was fully stocked on everything All at this resources. point. I was like painstakingly saving everything. I yeah. was knifing whoever I could knife, whatever. <laughs> and um, I was playing this like a Metal Gear Solid game this on extreme. Just shiving people left and right. So at this moment, I'm in, like pure survival mode. Like anything is happening, I'm going to find the most efficient way to kill it. So I'm in lockstep with like the survival horror element of this game at this point. And, you know, so when she says, look out the window, I'm like, I'm going to snipe somebody. Right. But uh, you follow her. And what do you see outside? Giraffes. There's like a whole bunch of giraffes just roaming about. They uh, escape from the zoo. Yeah. And they're just kind of repopulating the area. Here's a question, because maybe your answer is different. 
Why giraffes? Okay. They, I can't tell you why, but maybe Sterling can. And before I give him a chance, I'm going to tell you just giraffe things in this game. This game decided giraffes are associated with childhood. Yeah. Because there's a giraffe in Sarah's room at the beginning of the game, like a stuffed giraffe, not a real one. That would be okay. cool, but different. Yeah. So there's a stuffed giraffe there. And then as you go throughout the game, you can see anytime you run into like a child's room, like the ones that you find in Isha's settlement back uh, in Pittsburgh, you see giraffes, whether there's other stuffed animal giraffes or like just giraffe pictures on the wall. So the game, for some reason, has decided to link giraffes visually with childhood. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, they also kind of player innocence as well. Before anything happens, before your first firefight with Robert, you see a kid playing with giraffes, like yeah. giraffe stuffed animals. So for some reason, at that point, giraffes are a symbol of something you will never see again. Right. They're like a thing yes. that They're exists like because, well, yeah, well, we'll talk about that. I'm going to talk about that in a second, but they exist <laughs> talk about unicorns? as a symbol of something that can only exist in a society that has time to build a zoo. Yeah. Right. That's like the least essential thing you could be doing is figuring out how do I look at giraffes? <laughs> And now you get this luxury where you see giraffes in real life, and it's like a moment of the old oh my world. God, like I you have, have a whole something. new perspective of giraffes. And I would say giraffes, particularly because they're a magical animal. Like giraffes are so unusual. Like they're so extreme in how different they are from us. Yeah. To the point, like, or from any animal that Ellie may have seen in the wild. Yeah, and, and like I think what Sterling was getting at in Japanese, and I think probably also in Chinese, mm -hmm. a giraffe. Uh, the word for giraffe is the same word for unicorn because giraffes are a fucking magical looking creature. Wait, uh, not not necessarily in Chinese. Um, what is it? In Chinese, they, they use chilin, which is like Kirin. Yeah. Um, in Chinese, giraffe is long-necked deer. Oh, okay. What's so that's what I would call Does apply to any animal in, besides the, the mythical one? No, not really. What is it in Japanese? In Japanese, kirin, which is chilin, mm -hmm. um, is a unicorn or the right. Asian version of a unicorn, right. which is like a dog kind of. Um, Wait, dog slash lion slash whatever. It's like a mythical beast. You got like just the generic mythical beast. Well, you have the With dragon phoenix, and then there's the two other ones that always the turtle, me. the turtle, and the Kirin. Yeah. So okay. the 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 oh, and the bird or that this, whatever. What, is it a chilean a horse with a horn? A kidin a kidin is a oh, this something that exists animal. between. Dog and deer and oh, lion. Oh, I know with what a we're horn. talking about. Yeah, you've seen them. They're gatekeepers yes, and shit. Yes, I know what we're talking about. Uh, but kirin is also used in Japanese in katakana to refer to a giraffe. I love that a Japanese person who had been exposed to the mythical thing saw a giraffe. Well, they were, they had first... heard about the mythical thing. Well, you know what I mean? But like conceptual, <laughs> yeah, conceptually yeah. knew that mythical thing. Yeah. Saw a giraffe for the first time and was like. It's a fucking, uh, fucking uh, <laughs> kidding. <laughs> Just like how in people in Europe, like they believed in dragons because they probably saw some huge lizard and they're like, yeah, it's a fucking dragon. Yes. Like, what else would it be? Mermaids are real because manatees. Yeah. I saw, yeah. Why like, not? So and I, also, I, I, cyclopses, just random fun fact for the day. People thought cyclopses were a thing because they, they saw the, the skull of an elephant. And where the yes. no, the nose is, or the trunk rather, um, would be, they have like the big gaping yeah. hole, like a human skull. Yeah, but they thought so they that was like an eye socket. Down. They thought it was an eye socket. Shit, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So fun fact. Yeah. So I, I would say like, this is a very magical feeling animal to choose. Here. I remember. So when the game first came out, I played it and I remember being like not a part of the conversation, but definitely listening to other people's conversation through the internet. And the big things that people were buzz about were the story of Ish. People were obsessed with that. And the giraffe moment. I think everyone who who I've heard talk about the game really touched on the giraffe moment as this like, what 
whoa, Mm -hmm. it's different. And I think it kind of shows that spring is peaceful. This place you're coming into is not loaded up with hunters. It just has nature and a beautiful giraffe, which arguably Ellie has been pursuing in some way. I think it also shows the, well, the conclusion of something Ellie has been seeking. She wants to see the old world. She wants to achieve these images that have been associated with childhood as this thing you're reaching for. And it happens as she's arriving at the place that she has been reaching for. Yeah, it's two different uh, feelings of catharsis coming together. Very different goals. And I also thought it was, the reason I laughed is because now I'm thinking like, well, (laughs) it's Utah. Like people in real life with no zombies died on their on their winter trip, their well prepared yes. winter trip to Utah. And Joel and Ellie just did it in a zombie apocalypse, besieged on all sides. Yes. So Utah must be pretty fucking hard to get to now if you're not a firefly. Like it, it must be a tough journey to get there, which may explain why there's not a lot of hunters out now there. Now I'm just thinking about like traditional trails from westward expansion in American history. But Utah yeah. was a major one. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. But you had to know what the hell you were doing. Um, you were going to make it there in the, the winter. The initial group that traveled is very famous for having created that trail. So mm. anyways. It's the Mormons. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, know. <laughs> I mean, the Mormons were what, I, well, the thing yes. is, well, here's the thing. After the Mormons got to Utah. It was a the, shitty place to live. The place, the, the thing Not, that wait, caused sorry, all. Let me, let me clear up that one. It was a shitty place to live because the land sucked. Yes. And they made it cool. But, but I'm talking and about. their post, lake was salty. Post-Mormon. <laughs> travelers when yeah. they were like I'm going to go there cuz I'm going to be live in this Mormon community they didn't know how hard the trail was so a yes. lot of people died trying to retrace the steps so of the people who made it it's famously hard but still easier than the than Oregon zomb- trail like being in a zombie apocalypse things. well yes and that's what I'm trying yeah like if yeah. It, but if it's that hard in the the Mormon trail it's imagine that for Joel and Ellie so that's what I'm saying yeah, that's I don't probably want why there's not no trading like, posts and that's what I'm saying. There's probably no the hunters out there. Oh, like, yes, why would you yes. do that? Why would you take this I got journey distracted out by there? history? Yes. Yeah. So anyway, we're gonna get back to you know draft <laughs> the future. That's that's you know we've yeah we gotta get that. to the second half of the game. Um, <laughs> we go through some sewers trying to get to the hospital, and there is a moment where Joel falls off of a platform, gets pulled underwater. Ellie tries to save Joel, even yeah. though she can't swim. And boy, I felt for Joel in that moment, and Ellie because you're like. You're all the way there. You might die because you're in the wrong part of a school bus. And you're just like, really? Yeah. Here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of all places. But anyways, you end up dragging her from the from the water. Yeah. And you're trying to save her, starting CPR. And two military-looking figures come up to you and say, hands up. And you're like, she's going to die. She's going to die. You're knocked out. Yeah. Which, again, up. reminiscent of the beginning. Wake up in a hospital. Um, you are approached by Marlene with a couple guards. It seems like the guards like you less than Marlene does. I want to know how Marlene made it there. Clearly, Marlene is a badass. Yes. I mean, she probably had an escort of fireflies. They probably yeah. made that. She probably had together. more resources. Yeah. But well, she she did say that she traveled with a bunch of people. Oh, and lost and, them all. And they, yeah. lo- there were a lot of tragic losses on the way. Yeah, she's pretty floored that you're there because yeah. she's like, uh, I had trouble with my best crew. And, and that says a lot well, because Marlene, if you read the comic book, is fucking hardcore. Yeah, really? if you if Maybe you, there's a reason she's the leader of the fireflies. I'm excited. And if you um read her journal, she's kicking herself because she's like i should have been the one well she should have been she feels guilt for giving the cure to humanity off to some smuggler 
Yeah. And especially when the fireflies ended up showing up and yes. taking over and that spot anyways that Joel ran from. And now I'm Oh really? They took over the cap the They managed house? they managed to come back and like get yeah. it. Yeah. But at the time when Marlene meets you with Robert, she's bleeding out. She thinks I might die and also uh oh, yeah. how am I going to get from here to the state house? So Really, Marlene's plan was never to, like, entrust him with this. It was to get Joel to escort Ellie across the city. That's it. Yes. So she's like, shit. Like, that seemed like the only answer at the time. Now with foresight, I'm like, oh, I could have avoided all of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, But Marlene is a really (laughs) interesting character here just because she was friends with Ellie's mother. She's taken on Ellie to protect her and save her. Now she's coping with the guilt of... Is saving her is like saving humanity the same as saving her? Well, and so thing, I think it, and she thinks it is. The even thing that is revealed because this is important. This is why that decision is interesting. Is Ellie is ready to go under the knife, and Joel learns they know she's going to die. Essentially, no. But here's the thing, though, is there. I found another document in there which said we found others with resistances and immunities, but none of them reacted the same way as Ellie's. Yeah. So. I think that was important, and it definitely colored my perception of what happened. Exactly. Next. So that's why I saw this as two different sides of this really important piece of information. One is she could die, but we need to do this to make the cure. But once you read that document after this like twist that happens, you're like, oh, she is for sure going to die. I see. I remember the first time I played the game, interpreting that first scene as. Mm-hmm. Ellie's going to die. Interesting. Like the way you leave, you don't want to say it directly because that's just hard to do. But everyone's like, oh, it's the unspoken truth. I see. I thought, I honestly thought Marlene was trying to make it seem like she could survive, oh, but it was a hard decision, so. which is well, why when what happens is they escort, they, they miraculously don't kill Joel because it seems like everyone wants to. And Marlene's like, no, he did this for us. Right. And Marlene, like having to make this, take this hard stance against everybody else is kind of another thing that shows you like Joel's reputation yeah. is not great. As Joel is being escorted out by one of the guards, he makes a split decision. He's like, am I really going to leave or am I going to take this one opportunity to go and get Ellie? Well, so the other hard part is that- I found the line that Marlene oh, okay. said. Marlene says, the doctors tell me the growth inside has somehow mutated. It's why she's immune. Once they remove it, reverse, we'll be able to reverse engineer a vaccine. A vaccine. Joel says, but it grows all over the brain. Marlene says, it does. And yeah. that's kind so of so it's brain surgery, is what right. No, no, no. I think it's what he says, but it's all over the brain. And Marlene's like, Yeah, I think they're saying, Oh, like you have to remove the brain. Yes, oh, brain that's surgery how you read is that, you do yeah. a little incision yeah. and you like it's small scale. I mean, it's big scale, but like mm-hmm. you're manipulating a small part, you're, you're manipulating the top half of the brain, usually. Yes. And that's risky yeah. when you're just like touching little things. So if the so the intent there is that you read that as like her brain is encased in fungus or something. Or it's in her brain. Like Oh. No, I don't think it's in her you brain. You don't think so? You don't think it's all over it might brain. be in like the folds or something. I, I, I'm reading it as like there is like a shell around her brain that is like fungus. Well, that, and, you have to and if it's it. done anything like in like the um the, like, the thing that connects to the spinal cord, it escapes me right now. The medulla oblongata, the spinal cord. Cere- no, maybe cerebellum. I don't know. Uh-huh. So, oh, the thing from Bloodborne. I know what you're talking about now. The amygdala. No, no the that's, amygdala that's controls fear, but it is by hypothalamus. The spinal cord. Hypothalamus. Oh, whatever. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. The little yes. pointy thing you know, at the bottom no, of the brain. If it's like, well, well, attached. listeners, you can go Google it yourself. We've given you all the terms. <laughs> 
If it's become attached there, yes. I mean. Now I see what you're saying. Yes. You're saying like it's if it's around the whole brain, how could you do it without removing it? Otherwise, they wouldn't have that all over. And yeah. I think that's why the line is like that, where Joel's like, all that's over. all over. And Marlene just says, yeah. yes. Okay. Because Marlene doesn't want to say, basically, Joel said, this will kill her. And Marlene said, yes. Yeah. But they didn't have to say it directly. So Joel is leaving. He sees his opportunity. He oh, makes this split-second decision. They would not let him say goodbye to Ellie. They're no. like yes, Ellie's they already under. That's gone. Like he's missed his chance to say goodbye. Yeah. So Joel does this thing in a cutscene. So you don't have control over Joel at this point. And he disarms this guard and knifes him. And no, a, he, does, doesn't he stab the guard? No, he uh, he shoots it up. Oh, and, you're and right. Pushes he pushes him into the wall. Yes. And he's like, where's the lab? And he the guy doesn't him. say, shoots him in the gut. He's like, I, don't, I ain't got time for this. Shoots him again. Where? Yeah. Where's yeah, the Joel Joker? Joel became Batman. <laughs> um, in more ways than one. So <laughs> uh, the guy, the Joel figures out where she might be. And you now fight a well-equipped militia of, like, the post-apocalypse version of, like, Navy SEALs. Like, they have, like, automatic assault rifles. Well, like, you have assault huge, rifles, yeah. Yeah, you have, like, they have, like, M4s and shit. And, like, you are fighting this, like, pitched battle with the entirety of this hospital. A whole, like, movement, essentially, is, is coming down on you. And you defeat them as you make your way. You have to kill them, um, almost all of them yeah. in the first part. Kind of a clever thing where, because I've had this complaint where sometimes the game will make it seem like you can stealth your way through, but you actually have to kill every enemy in yes. the area. This point of the game is not about stealth. You, I made you, can, it about you, stealth. you have to use stealth really? or you can use stealth in the first part to even the odds, which is what I, I played as like a, like a predator kind of thing. But that's only the first area. After that, you can start running past okay. people and stealthing to the exit. And you eventually make it to the surgery room where Ellie is. And on the way, you will have found documents that confirm your suspicions. Like, the yeah, is definitely going to kill Ellie. And we're pretty sure it's going to work. But, you know, who can possibly know that at this point? Yeah. And uh, you end up, no one wants to describe this. So. So you, no, you no. <laughs> Sterling played the most recently. I mean, you walk into the operating room, you see uh, some curtains and bright lights casting yeah. silhouettes on the wall, on the curtain. Uh, you can kind of make out the doctor scrub with like the face yeah. mask over them. And Notably, it looks like a real operating room. It does. Like it doesn't look like. Like a, a fast stitch up situation or something. It it's looks not, like it's not the highest tech of right. operating rooms, but it is an operating. It looks like room. a real room. Yeah, it automatically switches you off of your auto, uh, assault rifle to your <laughs> yeah. pistol, and you walk through a door and you see three doctors like scrubbed up. They like look at you and they're taken aback. And one of the guy I think picks up his scalpel and he's like, "Stay back, stay back!" But yeah. I didn't really wait long, so I shot him, him, and then waited for one other person. And Whoa. the other person started screaming like, "You're an animal! You're a monster! You Get out too. of here!" No, I, I, I mean, I had to eventually, but like, no, you only have to kill one person. Really? Yeah, I'm actually surprised. I didn't know you could shoot them. Well, because I, I, I tried to actually. I thought you had to shoot all of them. No. Well, because what happened to me was. What? I tried to, I went to the table after. <laughs> oh, you guys were all in. No, because I, I, well, I, I waited. I was, because I'm like, Joel would do this. And Maybe I, I waited. I stood there waiting until it was clear I had to shoot them. I, I stood there waiting and I approached and you can actually push triangle to grab him. So I thought you would like disarm him and then grab Ellie. Um, you actually very violently grabbed his scalpel and yes. you 
like stab him in the well, throat. Okay, so I he did, did the pick up the thing. scalpel. Yeah, I kind of walked. And in then the everyone room. else is like, "I'm." No, no, they put their hands up, and you just leave. Oh, I shot way. the first one, and then the second one, and then uh-huh. I tried to pick up Ellie, but I didn't get the little like triangle like yeah. pick up button. So I was like, "Really? This person's cowering and like in a corner, and is like, you're an animal. You're an animal." I'm like, and you I thought guess. you had to shoot? And I was him? like, I guess That's I have funny. to. So. Interesting. I, I only killed the head surgeon. Yeah, I guess you only have to kill the one with the scalpel. I think I think. I you, think guys, I you guys were like in full on survival mode. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. So you pick up Ellie and, and you Ellie's carry her. Like, you know, you Sarah IVs, carry her, you, you might say. You carry her to the elevator, which is uh, for some reason. Oh, no, you carry, carry her out of the room. And then like it's like yeah. alarms are blaring. Like you go down and, one hallway, a bunch of people show up. You're like, go the other way. Yeah. Go down another hallway. You're running. And nobody should be shooting at you because they don't want to. Damage. Can I point out, by the way, at this point, I still had max equipment because I still thought, even to the very <laughs> last encounter, I was so in lockstep with, like, I need to survive that I, like, I saved all of this stuff for nothing, which is probably how Joel is always feeling. Yeah. He doesn't know what's going to be his last it's, fight. You know, it's like Final Fantasy problems where I'm like, yes, well, I have, like, seven max ethers and I, you know, it's the final boss, but is it? This is probably yeah. the moment when the survival horror element, like, of the supply tracking resonated with me the most because until the very last controlled step you can take, I was like, I got to be ready to kill more people. Yeah. And so I ended the game with max there's supplies. no big boss at the end. Yeah. And I oh. think that works really well. Yeah. yeah. Essentially, it's the fireflies. Yeah. yeah. And and there's a final, yeah. like, and then you fight, the, but not a boss. Right. Then you get to an elevator, go down to a parking lot basement, and Marlene is waiting for you outside of the elevator there. She's like, hand it over. You know, this is this is it. There's no, yeah. you, you won't be able to save her. One day it'll be it'll be like raiders or it'll be clickers. Yeah. Like, how are you going to stop and this here, forever? And, and she reminds him that, like, this is my daughter, too. I'm so invested in this that I will let you walk away. Like I will let you walk away and all of my, like half of the fireflies are dead now. And I am not going to like hold that against you. Well, I mean, I will personally, but like, I'm just going to let you leave because this is important to me that we make all of this worth it, that we made this, this choice worth all of the violence that it's taken us to get to this point. All of the ugly things I've done for the greater good is meaningless if you don't let me take Ellie now. I also think it's really important that she again brings up that she has literally raised Ellie. Like yeah. she, Joel has become a father figure for Ellie because he traveled across the country with her for a year. Yeah. She raised Ellie after Ellie's mom passed away. So yeah. She has known Ellie since she was a baby and done a lot of the parenting. So I think this is interesting because it's easy to say, and, I, and this is kind of what I say, that Joel did the understandable thing. He saved mm-hmm. his child. But the game gives you Marlene, and Ellie is essentially her child, too, and Marlene makes the opposite decision. Yeah, there's essentially three parental figures in order of most to least, which is Marlene, Joel, and then Tess. And people on either end of that feel differently from Joel about it. So you get that opposing point of view, but then Joel makes a decision to shoot Marlene, and I guess, I assume grab her keys. Because then, yeah. next thing you know, they're all in the car. They're escaping the fire. Well, not escaping. They're just driving away from it's the... like drugs are wearing off. She's like, what's what's going on? Like So from, yeah, from her perspective, she was in a bus underwater. And now she woke up in a car traveling in who knows what direction. In a hospital gown. In a hospital gown. Which is a little suspicious. <laughs> yeah. She's like, did I do it? <laughs> what's What happened? I think that the meta of the game, the subtext of the game, too, is that Ellie anticipates she may die. Yeah. Ellie. Oh, then this is before you get to get to that point. I think Ellie 
is talking a little bit about like she can't wait to like make a difference yes. and, and make this worth it. Well, right. And that's actually like one of the final moments of the game is you you leave with well, Ellie. Yeah. So what's he tell her in a car? I don't remember the exact line. He says that it worked. Or no, it didn't work. He said they have lots of people like you. They don't need you. Yeah, yeah they don't yeah, need he you. Says, turns out, yeah, he said, we found the fireflies. Turns out there's a whole lot more like you, Ellie. It people didn't. that are immune. It's dozens, actually. Ain't done a damn bit of good, neither. Yeah. Which, they've actually st- they've stopped looking for a cure. I'm taking us home. Which is it's, the worst lie, because see, she's in a hospital gown. I think it's, I, I actually think it's a pretty believable lie. Because I, I think from their perspective, El, first of all, Ellie has not seen, she doesn't even know what the Firefly base looks like. She she has no idea about what they told Joel, uh, and she has no, had no contact with Marlene no, no. since Boston. It's a right? good lie in isolation. Yeah, yeah. It's a bad lie because she wakes up in a hospital. Game. Right. So I think what, so, what he wants her to think is that they took her in, they did some blood test on her or something. And she's exactly like And other she's people. just like everybody else. And, and they didn't give her her clothing back. Yeah. But I mean, uh, after, that's a, well, that's a good point. And the Marlene moment, didn't want to see her. The moment he says- That's I'm a ta- good point too. Well, I think Ellie knows that he lied. Well, I mean, he says, the moment he says, I'm taking his home, she rolls on her side, no longer facing Joel. So she rolls away from him in the car. And Joel's like, You know, I didn't think about Marlene either. That's a good point. Because I I kept thinking, like, oh, she has no relationship with the Fireflies, but she has a lot of relationships. Here's the thing, though. Her mom was a member. Why would Ellie know that Marlene was there? The last she saw him, she was bleeding out. That's a good point. That's true. She doesn't know Marlene. Okay, either way, either way. It is suspicious to wake up in different clothes. The end on a note that is pretty blatant that Ellie doesn't believe Joel. Well, we know that in the next scene, too, because That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, they show up at the dam and she makes Joel swear. She's like, tell me that this is the truth, that like that there isn't even a little bit that I could have done. If there's I need to know that there wasn't even the smallest thing I could have done using what's special about me to make a difference. Well, right. And this is what I was saying a, yeah. lot, a while ago right. that we put no, a I pin like in. Yeah. Ellie goes on a story and says, like, you know, when I was in Boston, I was bitten, but my friend and I were bitten together. Which and is we her just, girlfriend, right? Yeah. That's in this the, is the, the prologue. The, the, uh, contents of Left Behind. Which I think makes it more powerful because it's not just like a person she hung out with. It's a person she was maybe a, in love A person with. she hung out with, to quickly summarize that, gets bitten because they love Ellie so much, they, they leave the fireflies, run across the city, and even make the choice to abandon the fireflies to spend more time with her. Mm. And they finally like kind of like in a teen way, consummate their relationship by hanging out in an arcade. Yeah. And they That's both get bitten. most people bitten. consummate relationships, I think. Yeah. They get bitten because she made this choice to go be with Ellie. Oh. So Ellie is the cause of this girl getting bitten and becoming infected. And anyways, like that girl is like, you know, let's just wait it out. You know, we can be all poetic and lose our minds together. And Ellie was like, I'm still waiting for my turn. And yeah. so she kind of tells Joel right before they get back to Tommy's complex, because there's a big gap between that car and That's here. a long drive, by the way. It's, yeah, Salt <laughs> Lake long, City. Long, quiet back. drive. I think that's like six oh, hours by car. Well, anyways. Car. Yeah, anyway. Oh. That's a long drive. Yeah. <laughs> Ellie is like having this real like moment with Joel where, where she says, I came to terms with my life a long time ago. I've been waiting to die since that very moment. Anything that I can do in the meantime since then yeah. is just borrowed time. What can I do on this borrowed time that I've got? Yeah. I, I should have died then. I wish I had died a little bit. That's kind of how I took it. And she asked him to yeah, I think it, either swear or promise her that he is telling the truth. And, and well, he responds 
I struggled for a long time with surviving and you, he clutches his watch, you know, no matter what, you keep finding something to fight for. Now I know that's not what you want to hear right now, but, and then she interrupts and says, promise me that everything you said about the fireflies is true. Promise me you're not lying. Swear to me, swear to me it's, a, it's all true. Crescendo, I swear. Yeah. Ellie says, okay. Yeah, uh, it's, so there are a couple of things I want to touch on here. There are three things. First things real quick, and it's the watch, which he got at the beginning from his daughter, yeah. and then you see it broken throughout. And then he's also talking about Sarah as he leads Ellie back to Tommy's place. He's like, Sarah used to do things like this with me all the time. And I think it shows that slipping into he sees Ellie as Sarah yeah. because now he's kind he's of forced Ellie now to be Sarah. Yes. And then there's something I want to talk about cinematically. The intro of the game is the reverse of the outro where the opening shot is on Sarah and the closing shot is on Ellie. And the game opens with you taking Sarah into a car, carrying her out of it where she gets shot. And then Ellie, you carry her into a car and away from the military. So the end of the game has Ellie with like a military-esque force and Joel takes her into a car to get away. Whereas oh, the beginning has, yeah, takes there's like Sarah, a symmetry to it. Yes. Yeah. Into the car it and rhymes. the military. <laughs> and thank you, George Lucas. They are shot. Another so. quote I had in my mind was uh Tao Tao's famous quote. Naturally. I would rather, uh, what was it? I would rather betray the world than have the world betray me, which is, that's what happens to Joel. The world betrays yeah. him. And then at the moment, at the end, he's like, am I going to betray the world for myself? Fuck yeah, I am. <laughs> well, that kind of goes back to everything that we've been talking about, Joel. And yeah. he's really just survives for himself and he'll take that toy because this is life. And yeah. why would he sacrifice something? At this point, Joel has no, again, saying this as someone who is very opposed to, pretty much to Joel from minute one of, or since the first non-prologue chapter of the game, never really sympathized with Joel I get it because Joel has never really seen a reason to think of society as being a good thing outside of how it directly helps him. Mm -hmm. Because he knows society will toss him aside the moment he is inconvenient to it. So, like, I get that. But I also thought this was such an interesting thing where, you know, games, you guys are playing the Final Fantasy VII remake right now. How many Shinra soldiers are you slaughtering every day? But... You know, it's not like the game isn't asking you to think of Cloud as a mass murderer because the genre of the game is saying there's going to be a certain amount of violence and we're going to talk a little bit about it, but we're not going to dwell on just the number of humans you have murdered. Mm -hmm. But in this game, it's very hard to escape your visceral connection to the amount of violence you are inflicting on people. And there are hints throughout that, like, you haven't done it for good reasons in many cases that you might really be like a very self, you might be. No different from the hunters that you have killed, right? Yeah. And so through the whole game, I kept thinking like, is this game expecting me to just overlook this? And I think that it wasn't until the end that I realized the game is asked, is is almost baiting me into thinking like, haha, this is just a video game. I'm just going around inflicting violence. But the game then turns around on you and says, no, we're, we're on your side to a great degree. We are also like critical of what Joel is doing. We are also critical of how casually we are willing to kill people in order to get something for ourselves. We've put it there the whole game. We have taken responsibility for this violence at several moments from the beginning all the way to the end. And we have never forgotten it. Have you? 
And, you know, you know, I, I hadn't at that point, but at that point I was like, okay, there has now been a merging of what I think this game thinks about itself with what the game wants me to think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really well done. So now that we're at the end, I put up a poll on Instagram, which if you're not checking our stories, I try to put up polls when we're recording. So you guys can mm-hmm. give us your at thoughts. PVP or at player, player versus VS plot. plot, player VS plot. That's right. So the one that we had for this week's episode was, did Joel make the right choice? And I didn't say more than that because I don't want to spoil which, it. For I didn't see it. it. I think this is a weird phrasing of the question because <laughs> to me, like there is no debate on that. I think the, the more interesting question is, do you agree or do you understand? Would you make the same choice as Joel is, the is I think, the more controversial question. But apparently I'm wrong. Well, you yeah, might I think make. There, I think people interpreted it. As I mean, that. OK, again, you might interpret it that way. But 50 percent of the people yeah. said he did. Make yeah. The right more choice. controversial yeah. than I expected. It was, I, I told Chris I put up that poll and he was like. Who would say yes? And I was like, 50% of the people. Yeah, I, I would say yes. I mean, based off of all the information I found, it looks like my this girl's going to die. They found others like her, and it didn't do anything. Well, so, remember, he doesn't know they found others like her. They do in one of the notes. Yes. This is important. This is why I keep coming back to this. What Joel knows when he kills the first firefly oh, true. does not include any of the notes you find that all confirm. So I'm going right. to yeah. have you take into consideration everything that you know at the end mm-hmm. and then say, did Joel make the right choice? Not would you have made the same decision at the same point in time? But I see to me the really big thing and what I think the game is hinging on is that Joel doesn't actually have perfect information mm-hmm. when he makes that choice. He makes the choice based on a hunch. Yeah. And but is it the right choice now that you have all the information? Now that I have all the, I, my answer is the same either way. But and what is your I answer? Think, Chris? I think that a lot of people who who are saying this online are making that decision with all of the documents, and I I don't think that's what Joel had. So I think well, that's the question. Is us the question is mm-hmm. as a third party watching it? Yeah. Do you think that Joel made the right decision? He made the wrong decision because at the time that he was being escorted out, he thought. I have no reason to believe this will work. I don't know that they have the capability to do it, even if it could work, right? And also, fuck society. Like, I I don't know why I owe anything to the rest of the world. It's taken everything from me. Why should I not have a daughter? So he made the wrong decision. I think he made the wrong decision. I think that's why he made it. Oh, tell me. No, no, no. I don't mean like what motivated Joel to make the wrong yeah, decision. Yeah. No, I, I think mean, I think like, he's wrong. Well, <laughs> why do you think it is the wrong decision? Oh, I oh, I see. Like not being. How Joel. do you respond to that? I story? thought, boy, this. Is, I think it's meant to. This be is the moment where the 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 control that the game assigns you is at its most potent. Because I had no choice but to kill all of these fireflies. Yes, we and know. If that. I could have had Joel turn the gun on himself and shoot himself. I would have had him do that. Okay. Um, because I don't think he should have done it. I think he should have left. Why? It would have been been terrible. Um, because I don't think Joel deserves anything from the world, and I don't think that. His desire to have a daughter means he can make that choice for both Ellie and the Fireflies. Okay. And notably, the Fireflies don't make her, have her make that decision either. Like, they don't ask Ellie either. Yes. I think that's the problematic part. Yes. Because she's still unconscious. She has no recollection of anything so after the bus. So neither decision is really blessed by Ellie yet. Right. So the, we are now we are now assuming that we're making it okay. for her. We'll swivel back yeah. to this, Sterling. So I think that... 
you know, it really comes down to, would you risk this to save the world? Yeah. But for Joel, what is the world but something that has constantly kicked him time and time again? So his world is Ellie. So in his mind, which, you know, I think the game is trying to make you come around to, but, you know, you still get that kind Mm -hmm. of cognitive dissonance. Like, I am murdering a lot of people as Joel. Yeah. But Joel is like, this girl is my world now. So do I save everybody else that has kicked me down and, like, spat on me my whole life? Yeah. Or do I save my this person that I've grown close to and is now kind of like filling a hole in my heart, which... and I, But I think, I mean, we all are on the same page that like this game has painstakingly made you like feel these feelings that Joel has and this betrayal of like society yeah. to him. So like, I think we all get what he's doing at the end, right? Like well, viscerally we get that. The heart of my question wants to get at I think the game... Like, did he make an ethical choice? Well, ethically, no. But, I mean, because ethics, I... Because I'm a utilitarian, so Uh of course not. But I think that the game does a very good job of being kind of morally gray at the end. I don't think that the game's final act exists to make a statement about right and wrong. I think it exists to leave you with a feeling. So I think that the question of did Joel make the right choice gets at what feeling resonated with you more. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that this game can really effectively evoke both sides of one coin in people. See, I I honestly read the narrative voice of this game as being very critical of Joel. Mm -hmm. I think this game's telling you Joel is a monster, but the whole trick of this game is that it wants you to sympathize with why does this monster, why does this villain because I think that he's going to be the villain. I think he yeah, will be the villain in the next And they season. want you to know why that happened. Right. And again, as, as I think we mentioned earlier, the theme of the game was love. And I think all of the things that Joel is doing here yeah. is done out of love. And it kind of uh, yeah. you know, it just changed directions and like tangent real fast. But I kind of get like a berserk feel of this. We are not talking about I'm not berserk. talking about berserk, but I'm just saying that like the game is pitching like a character oh, yeah, yeah. that is normally would be. Would be a villain, villain in any other story. In any yeah. other circumstances as your protagonist and you're yeah. following him and you it's learn like to Brindle. sympathize I with him. I read So, so yeah. in the end, I think his love is what eventually damns the world yeah. and causes Ellie to hate. Which, which makes me, so, so here's the thing, right? We're, we're talking about like from the perspective of like, okay, yeah, we can all agree that this does less good overall than, you know, say like, possibly than there's, not saving there's also Ellie. no guarantee that they would have been able to come up oh, with of any course. sort of cure. Yeah, of course. In fact, I think it's a little suspect that one immune person would be enough to reverse engineer that's true, but this is video game logic. That's fair. Because well, then I, can I don't then, think that's fair because uh-huh. you're also applying like if we also apply real world ethics yeah. and the idea that Joel is killing too many people, but that doesn't get to go be like hand waved away as video yes. game logic, then this also can't be hand waved away as video game logic. So I guess what I'm saying that this is video game logic is that we are told like the choice Joel has is maybe save the world or mm-hmm. definitely not save the world. Oh, and I so, think. There's a parallel universe where you play as Marlene and she is the hero. Yes. She is just a hero because but, she embraces self-sacrifice. And right. culturally, we are told that self-sacrifice for the greater good yeah. is the heroic thing to but, do. But the reason why I say that's video game logic, like mm-hmm. how could how in the world could these people who have scavenged that knowledge from different colleges and taken over a hospital now perform brain surgery? Yeah. How in the world can Joel make it here? Like how can yeah. one man fight thousands of battles kill hundreds, maybe 
tens of thousands of people, who knows, right? And and make it all the way to this base where he fights an actual army. Like, that doesn't re- exist in real life. No person yeah, that's fine. I would argue no one has ever done that, right? Yeah. So what I'm saying is if Joel can be that supernaturally successful mm-hmm. in what he's doing, then they I believe be that yes. successful. That's, that's because fine. there is a heightened reality happening that's in this fine. game. But I, I think then that tempers the perspective of everyone Joel has killed is a body count making him more and more of a monster. I do think that's at play. Uh, yeah. I just think that maybe all of those astronomical interpretations are a little more muted. I don't think I don't think that that if like what the game presents as reality is affecting what it's moralizing though. Like mm-hmm. it's not saying like Joel is supernatural and thus he is justified in killing more people. I think he's just no, saying no, no. he can. The body count was a thing really. You said one of the things that made you think think that Joel like the world doesn't owe Joel anything and he's obviously the monster is the yeah, amount yeah. of people he has killed. But well, that is video game discourse, right? That's a video game way of showing yes. you the effort Joel has to go through. I, I, I think I see what you're saying. Okay. I, I was just talking about like the realistic element of like the I'm saying that if we accept the, if we're going to accept things that are normally video game winks to tell you a thing about the narrative, yeah. right? But I don't think it's a wink in this game. Right. I know. You don't think the violence is a wink in this No, no. I don't think it's a wink. I think it wants you to think it's a wink. I am carrying that through to say, and then if we live in that kind of gritty reality where it is not a wink or video game logic, then I would carry that logic through and be consistent with it and apply it to the potential for the cure to succeed. So I think those are two separate axes we're working on. One is like, what is realistically possible? So if it is realistically possible for one man to defeat probably several armies worth of people, it's possible for someone to like scrap together brain surgery is what I'm saying. Well, the I, other I, end of I, that my, is, my, my view of the brain surgery thing is that this is only 20 years in the future and there are probably some doctors that ended up surviving and yeah. these might be like remnants of- Oh, sure. Like right. it's no, plausible. No, no. I'm it's not just, saying yeah. they can't do brain surgery. I'm just saying that- the sample size needed for a cure to be synthesized yes. is huge. It's astronomical. It's the, the odds that this would happen in real life are low. Right. Right. But, and I think that that's meant to be something that you consider as Joel also. That you're not guaranteeing trading Ellie for a cure. Oh, yeah. You're saying, okay, I can sacrifice Ellie and it might maybe. contribute to a possible I, I agree cure. with We're that. all yeah, on the same that's base now. Yeah. No, no, I think that's true. I'm saying as a player, like, because the question wasn't, what does Joel feel? The question was, do we agree yeah, And the reason I don't agree is because I think it's as plausible for them to do brain surgery as it is plausible for Joel to have done all so of the here's, shit he's done. I think, so mm-hmm. I think the follow-up question would be, if you were in Joel's position, yeah. and I'm not even saying Oh, I'm not even if saying I'm in the position that, of a, ga- a character who inhabits this world and yes, plays I'm not, by its rules. I'm not even yeah. saying that. So if you're in the position of Joel, yeah. not that you've lived his same exact life, but something happens to you, even in this not post-apocalypse. Yeah. And you lose someone very close to you yeah, in a very dramatic way and then forge a new bond. Mm-hmm. And then the world asks I, of if, you, do you trade in his shoes? If I had lived all of these events of Joel. You don't even have to live these, like uh-huh. the individual events. Just are, if you were put in a situation where you could trade someone like your wife for. Yeah, yeah. For a chance a at sharing something. Yes. There's a very good chance. I don't know what I would do in that situation. But there's a very good chance that I would do something that I currently would consider bad. Yeah. And I think that that's, I don't think that that's the same as saying he made the right decision. I'm saying there are decisions that almost everybody would make the wrong decision mm. is what I think. I think that humanity is 
predisposed towards selfishness. And I understand that. But I also think that there's another, if you step back from your own humanity and look at it as, you know, what should we strive to do? We should strive to sacrifice our loved ones for the chance of well, saving Doesn't humanity. that circle back to the society versus the individual and yes. how you trade off? A, that is a very other. collectivist, there's a very extreme collectivist stance. Well, no, it's not extreme stance. It is a very extreme situation to be in where you are the one, right. you are the one person who will be excluded from the world. Will you now save the world? Yeah. And like a lot of us would say, nope. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. But that's do I think that's right? I don't think that's right. I think it's so interesting in this game because our mythologies and everything always say the opposite. Yeah. They say, of course, you should sacrifice everything you love in order to save the world. And then the universe will reward you for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I like that this game, in a very believable and relatable way, showed you, okay, here's someone who had the chance to do that. Yes. And they looked at everything and they were like, no. It kind of was like Job, I think, was it? Was the guy in the Bible that... Ended up like tested, tested time and time again and everything stripped from him. Yeah. And he's like, do you still believe me now? Yeah. I mean, that's why I think that the, the, the narrative voice that I interpreted from this game is it's not asking you, did Joel make the right decision? Mm -hmm. What it's asking you is, do you understand Joel's decision? Yes. No, I, I agree. I think the game is firmly anti-Joel most of the way. The idea that people can interpret the question, did Joel make the right decision in different Mm -hmm. ways? I think it's able to be interpreted either as, okay, from like a utilitarian third party point of view, no, or as, okay, if I were in Joel's shoes, Mm -hmm. I think that the question can be read in either way. And I think which way you read it can reflect on which way the game resonated with you more too. Here's a question. If you guys are a firefly, do you think Joel made the right decision? No, of course not. The only way I think Joel made the right decision is if I'm Joel. If you're, is if you're Joel. Okay. I think we're all on the same page. Right. Yeah. And so- you know, now that we've talked about this for nearly three hours, I'm very excited and eagerly anticipating Last of Us Two, Last of Us Two, and fighting Joel and this vampires. Seems to be, I'm guessing you're set in Tommy's in, town. Yeah, in his town, and you're in one of those family uh, units. And yeah. Joel is your now is your dad now. And I'm and Joel going- is your dad. Now. I want that on a bumper <laughs> sticker. And Joel is your dad now. And I'm guessing that Ellie will eventually learn the truth and. This will put her in opposition to Joel. I think she knows the truth at the end of the first game. And she's just trying her best because I think Ellie desperately wants to believe Joel is not, did not just take this away from her. He he demartyred her. I do think that re-martyred. No, demartyred. Joel ends in like on almost a sinister note in the first game. Like it's a little. By lying to her? Not just by lying to her, but by the way he says, I I used to do this with Sarah. I used to do this with Sarah. I think it was the instrumentation that really did that because I I think think otherwise it's not. I think what you're feeling is kind of the mood in Ellie's mind. And that's what like the music is trying to represent is that Ellie has been feeling betrayed. And Joel is like, hey, I saved her. I'm feeling good. Like, no, this isn't unusual. I've like, we've bonded now. It's maybe two years. Who knows how long it's taken to get back here. But like, you know, we're friends. And like, this is, this is. This is good. I still think it's weird that all of a sudden he's saying, I did this with Sarah and now I'm doing You're it. Wanna, like as they're overlooking the dam? Yes. Yeah, oh, either way okay. to the dam. Okay. Yeah. That would be like you're dating a guy and he's just like, I used to do this with my ex. My ex had the same color hair as you do. I do. I, I think he is in probably in full blown manipulation mode. I baked you this point. chocolate cake because chocolate cake was my ex's favorite dessert. And yeah. I would be like, oh, oh. 
Thanks. Yeah, it is. I do. I mean, I do think it's very sinister. I think. I mean, I think that I, mean, I relate, it's kind of like I can relate to him, and I think yeah. I would do the same thing. I think that's it's, troublesome. <laughs> <laughs> she will. She I will would shoot, knock down a hospital for yeah, you. Sterling. I would shoot a whole SWAT team down for you, Sterling. Um, I'll say this. I'm flattered. I, I, I want to. I want to be. I good don't enough think to the do game is expect. I think it's supposed to be like. Coming to after you just did something horrible. You're like Hercules looking down at your dead family. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you are supposed to be, even if you agree with Joel all the way through the end of the surgeon scene, I think that is the moment where now it has separated you from Joel again. And now you're in Ellie's shoes. I think there's some sort of disconnect for Joel, too. Yeah. I think you don't play as Joel again because in some ways Joel has become disconnected from reality. Yes. Yeah. Taking that... Putting you suddenly, because it's Ellie you control in that last Correct. moment, right? Yeah. Yes. That's very powerful because now the game's like, it doesn't matter if you connect with Joel now. You already did it. Yeah. You did it. It's you. Yes. And that's great. That's like one of the things that like, you know, I joke about how when I watched, I, I didn't play the DLC. I watched the DLC as a movie and I would, I can confidently say I would have enjoyed a lot of this game more if I were just watching it because mechanically I was like, eh. I but I agree. Guys, I am on record as liking the mechanics of this game. So don't listen to them. I think but, I played it very late, like six years or seven years after it came I, out. I think even throw, for uh, I think even for its time, I don't think it's doing anything that new mechanic. I enjoyed it. But Oh yeah, I enjoyed it. Again, I say all of this to preface a statement that even with me just not really caring mechanically about it for most of it, this would not work as a movie. Mm-hmm. Because in a movie there is just there's a little bit more separation between you and Joel, and the movie isn't making you go and shoot those like meticulously plan. How are you going to fight these fireflies at the end? But in a game, I have to. I cannot escape aligning myself with Joel mentally to kill systematically kill every single firefly I see to make it uh, to Ellie, and that's something that this game could not have accomplished if it were a movie. Right. You know. I, you know I. I disagree but i think i think this game would make a great movie uh-huh. i think that you would have to make a lot of screenplay adjustments though yeah and it would really have oh, to it could, like le- it would have to lean very can, hard on on your your i, I agree like, i think yes. such an important part of this game and why it resonates is the forced perspective and moments when you feel helpless yeah and i think this that dichotomy. no like even though you can force a perspective in a film they can't Re- not the same there's, way. There's elements of it. Like if you watch the original Halloween, mm-hmm. this first person shots of you being Michael Myers are supposed to f- make you feel like you are a voyeur and you are participating in violence. Yeah, like I get and that. Like, you can do a little bit of it, but I can't deny that in a game there's there's so much more potency to that same technique. And yes. I think this game it's gains a lot It's easier to do that. in a game yeah. too. Like we mm-hmm. were just talking about how Sterling and I watched Rear Window because he had never seen it before. And that just yeah. voyeuristic film shots but the only perspective you get is looking at yes. him in his room and then looking through. So it uses the whole movie uses like. And it works better for Rear Window probably because that character can't do anything. Yes. But as Joel, he is doing things, yes. right? Whereas in a movie, you can't have like one, like that tight of a perspective for a movie that has characters moving throughout the yeah. world. Participation is such a major part of games. I think that this game uses participation and helplessness alternate like alternatingly oh, yes. so effectively to the point where like I'm just like man I wish I could have cut a lot of game time and like mechanical interaction with this game and but at the same time it I can't it, deny it works yeah it works 
could have benefited from leaning more into being like a walking simulator. Oh yeah. Yes. Okay. I would have cut. Oh my God. There are so many gunfights in this game that are so transparently there to add quote unquote content. Interesting. Like they just teleport people into places they shouldn't be. And I will so say them. this game definitely is on a lot of people's list of favorite games. It's yeah. actually, I am, games. it's IMDb's top rated game of all time. Wow. Yes. And I think part of that is because maybe it hit an audience that a walking simulator would not have. Because it could be billed Maybe. as an over-the-shoulder shooter. I think that that probably got them to start the game up. I, yes. I don't know that. I think that almost, I mean, again, with the caveat that I don't think there is a single game where I would say it hits perfectly the exact amount of playing and the exact ratios of like interaction. And I don't I definitely don't think The Last of Us does. So there's some inefficiency it had to get there in order to get you to get the right. Yes ratio of participation right it's like, like the build-up to anything yeah. you have to like experience it and get that under your belt but my policy is a game can go wrong in a lot of different ways and it can underdo and overdo a lot of different things but if the end result is that i feel like it imparted something to me i wouldn't have gotten without suffering through the even the parts <laughs> i don't like which again so my favorite games have parts where i suffer right mm. i think that's a success i think the last of us is a successful a huge game success. in my like I besides like success. money and all that stuff like for me personally it succeeded in imparting the things it needed to even if it wasn't in in a 100 elegant and efficient way every time i think yes. it's a powerful game like even rewatching Sterling, there are moments that got to me. Like yeah, Henry and Sam. I remember um, when the game came out, there was a Penny Arcade art uh, comic. Yes, where the guy like puts it down, like it's like the credit scene, and he just goes over and hugs his kid. Yeah, and that was it. And I'm like, this is so like, unlike them, but it's like that guy's a murderer. It is also a shift. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like now we have God of War and we have The Witcher Three, but it is a shift towards that idea of games that let you be yeah. a parent figure. You know what? I will say one thing. Like, again, I tried to keep myself in a 2013 mentality while playing this game. So I don't hold this against it. But I do think God of War exploring your relationship with Atreyu or Atreus, fucking yes. Atreus uh, mechanically boy. builds on this game pretty well. Yes. Oh, yeah, I think God of War would not. The new God of War yeah. would not exist without The Last of Us. Yes. Uh, I would say in terms of further reading, um, if you want to see another mechanical exploration of like a. Ho uh, not a hostage. I keep thinking of Ellie as a hostage. Wow. Maybe a Freudian slip there. Yikes. Just a, uh, um, but uh, an escort, yeah. a long escort mission. Um, Eco. The, the yes, but I'm talking about like, uh, yes. <laughs> where did it go after this, right? Obviously, Eco is this whole thing. Um, but I would say if you want to see like, where did this go, this idea go after this, I would check out God of War PS4. Well, yeah. Which I would say is even less efficient at what it's doing than this game, but worth it yeah. to see what it has to say. Or see. just see our episode on God of War. Yeah, you could do that too. But, you know, participation counts for a lot in these kinds of games. Yes, it's 20% of your grade. 20% of your grade. Really? Wow. That's it? No. <laughs> it seems like a lot. For a video game? <laughs> and I think other further reading for other like media we did at the top. We name checked a lot yes. of movies. Go look at all that stuff. And books. And I added to my list of movies. If you like the shooting part, like if, you know, obviously the story is great. If you like the mechanical part of it too, for sure check out uh, Resident Evil 4 if you haven't already. Which, which is probably, probably one of my top cool. games of all time. I, yeah. I Probably going to be the next remake, although I've I don't know what's it. going on with that. <laughs> what have they done? Three, two, one? They did, uh, they did one, one, two, three. two, three in that order. 
three is the latest remake. Yeah, the one that's getting a middling reception. Yeah. I'm just waiting for them to because it was a middling four. game. Ooh, I'm gonna. I'm just waiting for them to ignore four and go right to five and six because they're like yeah. four is perfect. Don't touch it. <laughs> a lot of people, I actually think four's controls might be a little bit cumbersome to you if you're used to this because four is actually pre dual stick shooter. I mean, it has the right. options to play it that way. But it's not structured like that. So I think again, we'll bottle some of this up and save it for our Resident yeah. Evil episode. Are we, we? Is that happening? Eventually, everything's happening eventually. Chris. Yes. By the end of true. time, we will have done a podcast on every, every video, video game. game. I'm excited for the Tapper one. All right. Well, I, I've Root got beer a game. Tapper. <laughs> no, there is a game for the GameCube that I played so much called Mythic Heroes. I'd really like to unpack it because I don't know what it's about. Isn't that but. a Isn't that a Chinese? Yeah. Game? Yeah. I, that. yeah. I really enjoyed it. It's I, like Chibi Dynasty Warriors. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, we have other things on our list before that. Which <laughs> is like, we'll cover everything, but that's at the end. <laughs> it's the very last one, Sterling, because I hate it. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've talked more than enough about this game. I think listeners will agree. <laughs> so, you know, you can check us out at Player versus Plot. That's Player vs. Plot on Instagram and Twitter. Or you could email us at Player vs. Plot at gmail.com. Uh, you know, you can send your questions, concerns, things you liked, things you didn't like, and we'll uh, check them out. <laughs>